I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phyllis Gove. And with us today are Emma Fraser, a freelance writer. She's uh, sort of focused on costume design, pop culture. She wrote for uh, Little White Lies, Collider, and Vulture. And Tori Bravetti, a co-host uh, of the podcast, The Best of the Americans, the Rewatch podcast. I would say that if you are a fan of Carrie Russell or Matthew Reese. These are the people to be following. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here today, guys. This is a little bit of a weird episode, and I'm excited to dive into all of the Rolling Stone covers of 1999. Uh, we will be talking about all of them, but it will surprise no one that some of them will not get as much of our attention as others. Um, but I want to start a little bit by rewinding and seeing where you guys were in 1999, Tori, I'm assuming, was learning how to walk as a toddler <laughs> uh, or something along those lines. But uh, where where were you guys in 1999? Emma? Okay, well, <laughs> I was 16, so uh, I had already learned how to walk. Um, and it was a big year for me. I went to Glastonbury sure, that year sure. for the first time, um, which was wild. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so, like... Full on crazy experience. Uh, saw REM. My friend got on stage with Hole. Courtney Love gave her her guitar, which, uh, 
know. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> I know. So there's this really like like bad picture of me like on the last day of the festival on the bus on the way home with the guitar. So that's pr- that's probably my highlight of 1999. I mean, that's a that's a serious fucking highlight of 1999. Um, as as I don't know if you guys, I mean, have listened to previous episodes, but Kenny and I, uh, my co-host, uh, is a, we were just huge fans of Courtney Love in 1999. Uh, she, 200 cigarettes and man on the moon. Um, yeah. she was almost, um, oh my God, why am I drawing a blank on Helena Bonham Carter's, uh, characters named Marla Singer in fight club. Yeah. Uh, she, she was just like, there was a real moment and it's a shame that Courtney Love didn't act really anymore. Yeah. Uh, Cause she was pretty fantastic, but yeah, that's, I mean, Jesus, that's a hell of a 99. That's, that's pretty great. Yeah, I guess I don't really have much else to talk about. But no, I was just like drinking and like <laughs> hanging out, you know, sure. being I sixteen. Mean, being sixteen, yeah, being sixteen to ninety nine. I mean, it's a good, good time. And Tori, rad. what about you? I mean, I was also drinking. And... <laughs> Do you remember anything from ninety nine, Tori? <laughs> Not much, not much. In 1999, I was four years old. (laughs) Sure, sure. So, like, you're probably watching, uh, I'm assuming, like, Teletubbies, probably? Yep, like, everything on PBS was my jam. Sure. I was killing it in preschool. We have a little bit of Teletubbies on uh, on the the Britney Spears uh, cover of Rolling Stone we're talking about as well. Yeah, so there you go. Um, But, yeah, I was a huge Britney fan, like... Even at this age, literally, like, the following year in 2000, um, I went to my first concert ever, Britney Spears, for my birthday. Whoa. Wow. August 2000. I was five years old. I went to see Britney Spears. That's so cool. That's crazy. <laughs> I did fall asleep. Sure, sure. <laughs> but it's I went. <laughs> but I, I mean, that's got to be, like, at five, that's a, like, that's a pretty immense like visual kind of like experience. I'm sure I would have gone yeah. to sleep too. I would have been like, I can't process all of this. I'm going to sleep. But, yeah, yeah. I remember waking up and she was floating in the sky. Like as an angel. <laughs> like Had that's my visual memory of this. <laughs> Did I die? <laughs> that, that's fantastic. I'm trying my first concert was a far less exciting one. I think I saw Natalie Cole with my parents. I think that was my first concert, sadly. But uh, I mean, not sadly, but it is what it is. But uh, yeah, that's that's wow. That's uh, Britney Spears' first concert. That's that's a that's a yeah. good one. Yeah, she was yeah. my everything. Yeah, well, she's she's still a lot of people's everything. Quite honestly, I mean, true. It's it's a real shame that she can't apparently be an individual based on the law. But I mean, other than oh. that, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's been a weird. Uh, it's the, one of the things about the pandemic that I thought was funny or interesting. I guess is. Um, Brittany seems to have been living in a quarantine for the past like 20 years. <laughs> so for her, she's just like, guys, so this is not a big deal. Nothing's <laughs> different. She burnt down her gym. That was the gym moment where she was like, burnt down my gym. Brittany's had, I mean, you could do just a podcast on Brittany yeah. Spears and get like 200 episodes easy out of, out of yeah. Brittany Spears. But <sighs> we, did, uh, we did do an episode, and, and when we get to Brittany's cover, we'll talk about this more specifically, but we did do an episode on um, Baby One More Time in its entirety. Uh, and, well, it's got like some bangers for sure, but like as an album, doesn't really hold together particularly well. Um, but yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's 
it's crazy, but we'll talk about that. Um, so I just want to give a, a, a touch of context for the people that are living under a rock and don't know that Rolling Stone magazine exists. Um, but it was founded in San Francisco in California, uh, 1967 by Jan Wenner and music critic Ralph J. Gleason, first known for his coverage of rock music and it's for its political reporting by the uh, infamous Hunter S. Thompson. In the 1990s, the magazine broadened and shifted its focus to a younger readership uh, interested in youth-oriented television shows, film actors, popular music. It since has returned to more of a traditional mix of uh, content, including music, entertainment, and politics. It's got a current total circulation of a little over 700,000. Um, it's uh, it's interesting how, and I don't know if you, this is, this is total like nerdy shit, but um, I got bummed out when they shrunk their dimensions. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Yeah. I have you know I, I have mean? weirdly both sizes right next to me. Um and it's <laughs> depressing. Uh like because I am a magazine nerd and the same <laughs> the same thing happened to NME over here. It went from newspaper to magazine and then it kind of that was kind of the, the death knell in a weird way, because obviously as it was trying to change and now it's just digital. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like <clears throat> magazine culture We've talked a lot as a culture, as pop culture, about the death of books, quote unquote, even though I just personally just bought a bunch of tactile books for the first time in a while. And I was like, oh, books are great. Like yeah. holding on to something is great. And we never really talked about the death of magazines necessarily because they still sort of exist. Like magazine culture still exists. But I guess my question to you guys is how much longer do you think it will exist for? Oh, <sighs> It's, I mean, it's yeah. it's just it's tough when it's when I look at like the magazines that I grew up on. Entertainment Weekly, for instance, was a big magazine for me as a kid, um, and now it's just digital. Um, I get a little pop up on my iPad when there's a new issue to to flip through. It doesn't have the same, um, I don't know, power that it used to have. But I guess some still exist. It feels like fashion magazines still exist in a pretty significant way. Yeah, and I, I found this year particularly, I I already subscribed to a bunch of things anyway. Um, and actually, just before the pandemic started, I started a subscription to the New Yorker. I'd subscribed in the past and then just done the free trial. Um, but then I, I started again, and it's actually been really nice having this kind of collection of this awful year, which sounds weird, but to have it, like, preserved yes. in print. Yeah. And like, uh, and then seeing how like things like Vanity Fair and Vogue were pivoting during all of mm -hmm. this, like so at home shoots, like shooting stuff over Zoom, and I found this year to be really invigorating in the magazine industry. And I don't know if it's necessarily going to help long term, but I think it's just like shown how powerful they can be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I mean, Tori, I'm very curious about your thoughts on this too, since you're of a different generation. <laughs> Yeah. Um, how do you feel about tactile versus there was a whole New York Times article about how your generation and I, I promise I won't use that that term <laughs> anymore, but that younger people have turned back to what they call tangibles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's weird because because I moved away from tangible things, I guess more in high school like I had a Kindle and stuff like that but now I'm always buying books um but not magazines I have a lot of digital uh, subscriptions sure. but I don't like 
having stuff because you read through it once and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? That's my thought process. Behind Emma is a a giant bookshelf of books and magazines. Well, books, books, books is different because I reread books all the time, but magazines, it's like, I could just Google this article if I really wanted to read it again. (laughs) My thought process. True. I I was going to say, I have this really weird thing as well. So if there's like an article that everyone's like sharing, but I know it's going to be in the print, I'm like, I'm going to wait and read it in the print. So I might miss out. Yes. It's it's this weird like thing that I do. Obviously, if it's like something like the one that like landed today um, on L, like I'm going to read that (laughs) shit straight away. But, like inject that into your veins the second that it's out right. in the world yeah, yeah. if it's something more like a longer read um yeah i'll probably wait until the print arrives so it's just I my odd, just, odd I, I, we're not gonna go off on this uh, martin scarelli thing because it's not it's really not worth too much of our time but the fact that she has a twitter account and is replying to people on twitter today i'm just like what are you doing i haven't even anyway. like dove into it's that. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> the Twitter part. <laughs> it's, it's intense. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, it's funny you, you you say that, Tori, about how you don't own the magazines or, or feel the need to own the magazines, which I, which I, I sort of understand. Um, at the same time, as I was doing sort of a deep dive into Rolling Stone covers yesterday, I did find myself thinking back on like, like specifically, I remember that Smashing Pumpkins issue of Rolling Stone and how much I oddly like treasured it in a weird way. Like there's something about the fact that you feel like you own a piece of it, which is fucked in its own way. And I completely think that there's something messed up about it, but (laughs) you, you want a piece of it. Like you want a piece of this moment. And I think magazines, unlike books and unlike most things really do sort of freeze a moment in Ember. And I think that that's kind of interesting um, I don't know how many magazines I'd want to own from my past, but there's a couple that I kind of wish I still had. I'm just, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm just like, I have a couple. <laughs> I, and I, was like, I got rid of Lars when we got this unit and I was like literally sorting through them being like, right, okay, which covers might end up being worth stuff. So like I kept things like case do on the cover because I was like, I'm sure this will sell maybe, but probably not. You know what I mean? I was like, and Taylor, I was like, so things with like fan bases, I was like, right, if I keep this one, it might be an investment. It's probably going to go for like five pounds. But <laughs> I, you know what I didn't, I didn't just, I didn't figure out in my, in, so you guys did way more research than me. I'm going to just be completely above board and say that you guys did way more research than me. But do you guys know who, who has been on Rolling Stone cover the most times? Cause I wasn't able to find that. Um, no. I didn't look that up. Because I feel like Taylor's been on it at least three or four times is my guess. And my s- assumption is that someone's probably been on it more. But I can tell you how many... Britney, uh, in the space of 10 years or nine years, was on it like about eight times. There was one wow. year... Where she, there was a wow. couple of years where she was on it twice. So the year... Um, I have this one here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Britney returns. So, many yeah, so, returns. Yeah, so that year there was... Um, in the February, it was basically mm-hmm. the like Britney's like downfall um, cover. Inside an American Tragedy was the title, um, and then the and then the Britney returns. Um, but before that, uh, yeah, so there was the ninety nine, two thousand, twice in two thousand one, um, two thousand two, two thousand three, and then two thousand eight. That's so, I mean, yeah, she's she might be. The one who's been on it the most? I, okay, I, I'm speculating. Kurt Cobain, maybe? 
the Beatles as uh-huh. individuals or a band have okay. been over 30. And then Madonna. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, that tracks. That <laughs> that makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting how, um, and I I guess I I want to sort of talk for a second about magazine covers in general because I feel like there are some that for whatever reason just burn in your brain that you're just like I remember that cover. Um, they tend to be pop culture stuff for me. I imagine they're far more important things for other people, but it, it's just like I. Yesterday, uh, also, I posted on Twitter a handful of of magazine covers that I remember, but also that Gossip Girl cover, I remember it vividly because I was just like, this is not okay. Like, this is, this is, like, these, (laughs) these women are quite young. You're you're infantilizing them with ice cream, but it's- I have that issue. (laughs) (laughs) That one will sell. (laughs) But it's like, I just, I remember, and I would also say too, like it was part and parcel of the Gossip Girl marketing campaign by and large, which was obviously tapping into younger uh, audiences and sort of the the audacity of the show was really kind of writ large. Um, But but are there covers that you guys remember? It doesn't even need to be Rolling Stone, but just like covers that you remember as an adolescent that sort of like imprinted you in some way? Yeah, I've got a few, mostly relating to the X-Files. So the X-Files Rolling Stone cover, like, I wrote a piece on it last year. Um, Gillian Anderson had posed for FHM a couple of months before in her underwear. And I remember being, like, 13 and just a little bit confused because I was, like, you know, just I was just used to her in this suit. And I was, like, this is cool, I think. Or am I, am I meant to be offended because she's in her underwear? And then they did the Rolling Stone one, which was both of them in bed. And then I was, like, no, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> um hold, hold on just for a second emma i seem to have lost oh, I, uh, oh now you're back you're back co- oh can you I hear lo- me? i lost you but now i can, can you hear you. me okay yes. we're, we're fine cool. all of that recorded um i think but will you just repeat for me i got to i was a little confused and then that's yeah. okay so yeah i was a little confused about like this cover and have like scully being so sexualized because in the show she really wasn't. It was pretty chaste. Obviously, in the pilot, you see her in her underwear, but it's, like, not a sexy scene as such. And then, yeah, the Rolling Stone cover happened, and it was both of them. And I don't know why, because it was the two of them, I was like, this is way more empowering. Um, and also because I maybe had a crush on David Coffey. <laughs> Interesting. Sure, and sure. I wanted to, And I wanted them to be together in the show. So it was kind of hot. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure, you and you and everyone else that watched the show. <laughs> and then Chris Carter got into the action as well in that issue as well, right? So Yeah. And know, he's really that. weird in the story as well, he's very specifically like, This is not Mulder and Scully. He's like, anyone who thinks this is Mulder and Scully in bed, it's not. Like he was really weirdly like prudish about people like maybe like writing fan fiction about this cover. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I mean, first of all, like, let people have what they want to have. Right. Like, just be happy that there's fans that want your characters to hook up. Um, I, I do think it's interesting. He he was, the way he tried to sculpt the perception of their relationship is pretty groundbreaking in a lot of ways, in the sense that he, the pushback against yeah. them being romantically involved, um, I think is really interesting. 
That being said, I think it goes wildly off the rails near the end when oh, it's God. like they're having children that aren't like they didn't have sex. They had to have like a test tube baby. Like it's all just like it's all crazy. So let them fuck is all I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. I binge watched the show, so I can't even imagine watching it in real time. Yeah, can you imagine that? <laughs> torture. Sounds like torture. <laughs> That's incredible. Really <laughs> um, were there covers for you, Tori, that you remember? I mean, I would say the Britney one, the Rolling Stone one. I don't know if I remember it in 99, sure. but as a fan of Britney, just around that time, I remember that cover. That's that's the one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's – it's, yeah, I, 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 it's so funny because it feels like that cover – there are certain covers that send like shockwaves through pop culture and that's just one of them. And and we'll get to it in sequence, but it is really, uh, it, it's really kind of fascinating as to why it was such a big deal, but, but we'll get to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, let's, it, this feels like as good an opportunity as any to, to start going through them chronologically. Um, for our listeners, we're going to post all of the images on Twitter and on Instagram. So uh, and we will describe them obviously as well as we as we talk about them. I love that you're drinking a martini right now. That is tremendous. <laughs> uh, Emma just took a sip of a martini in the classiest, most British. It was fantastic. Uh, so uh, we will talk about the. We'll describe them. But if you want to follow along, or if you want to know what we're talking about, obviously just Google Rolling Stone 1999 covers. But the first cover uh, in January is the Beastie Boys. Um, you know, do you guys have thoughts on on the Beastie Boys? Are you fans? Yeah, uh, I like them. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I like them. <laughs> I mean, when I think of the Beastie Boys, I think of like the eighties. So when I saw them as Artist of the Year in nineteen ninety nine, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you are you not a a fan of Hello Nasty? <laughs> Their no, album I know from- Intergalactic, but that's it. Right. <laughs> fair, fair enough yeah i mean it I, I will say that there are a handful of people on these covers i think there are 26 or 27 of them in total over the course of 99 um and there are a couple head scratchers of people that you're like this you had a list and this person was not on the top of it and you couldn't get the other people so such and such i don't think the bc boys fall into that category by any means but um they are a, they are artists, a band, however you want to describe them, that I was not really into as a kid. I had friends that were very big fans of them. They were obviously trendsetters. They broke all sorts of barriers in terms of um, white guys rapping, I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, like they just really kind of like broke open the, the genre. Um, and I recently watched the Spike Jones documentary on Apple TV, which I thought was pretty interesting um in terms of um how can i put this starting off as kind of douchebags and then deciding (laughs) we don't want to be douchebags we want to be good people uh and we want to learn and grow and change uh that's a rarity in music (laughs) so that should be that should be commended but what do you guys think of this cover in particular i mean i i have to admit when it comes to the rolling stone covers with the kind of musicians on the front, I'm less like, depending, obviously the Britney cover is, is different, but like most of the musician covers, I, I, I read a lot of the uh, profiles, but a lot of the musician ones I kind of skipped because it's just <laughs> like, I, I like it, but I prefer just listening to the, the 
the music rather than necessarily reading about whatever like situation the profiler has them in um is like kind of my take i agree yeah i I mean i think it's i i would tend to agree with you that um musicians talking about making music isn't always the most interesting thing in the world um it depends on the artist I think that, you know, my favorite artists, you know, Bjork is my number one. I adore Bjork. Um, The way she talks about the the sort of the artistic process, what, you know, sort of the intellectualizing of all the stuff she's doing, those type of artists I find really interesting. It's not to say that the Beastie Boys aren't interesting necessarily, but I I, I hear your point, Emma, that that musicians talking about music (laughs) is kind of like, you know, yeah, it's it's not always that interesting. I also got to say, too, like... I, I get the whole like fisheye lens thing that they're going for on this cover, which was very much of the time. I feel like every fucking music video was shot with a fisheye lens. Um, so I get it. Uh, but it's just, it's just not that interesting, but it is what it is. Um, uh, the second one is Rob Zombie. Um, a, a, a polarizing figure uh, to say the least. But uh, you know, he's one of those guys that, um, I remember Dracula. I mean, who doesn't? A classic. Um, it, it, it appears in the Matrix, or it, it, it there's a needle drop of of it in the Matrix, uh, which which might be one of his lasting legacies. Um, I kind of I found him kind of endearing in a weird way. He seemed like not like he was going for this like I'm scary thing, but like he really seemed kind of like a nice guy. I don't know. <laughs> it's weird with Rob Zombie. I guess like my biggest interaction with him has been like I've seen some of his movies that he's directed. Um, in terms of the music, I, I probably couldn't name you a song. So sorry, Rob Zombie. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what Rob Zombie's real name is. I hope it's just Rob Zombie, but. Um, <laughs> But I, 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 it is interesting. He did sort of, he, he got out of the music game and got into movies and he made a lot of sort of pulpy B horror films, I guess is sort of the best way to describe it. I, I'm not a horror person, so that's just not really my bag. <laughs> Tori, do you have thoughts on uh, Rob Zombie? I mean, my only real knowledge of him was like his Halloween movie, <laughs> which is not good to me. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, yeah. I read I read the article the profile oh, yeah? on him. And yeah, I was had the same thought where it's like he seems like a really nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> like he seems like a smart, nice guy. Yeah. Just like I this is my this is the persona I'm gonna run with. And it's more of a sort of a performative thing than it is mm-hmm. like anything else. Um and I remember at the time I had a friend, or I still have this friend, who was kind of just like this seems kind of kitschy and I'm into it. Like it seems kind of funny and and winky. But then when he went full on horror, I don't know. There's just something very sort of like the message is muddled is right. kind of what it is, is where I'm coming from. That being said, this cover. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's Rob Zombie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what else to tell you other than that Rob Zombie's on the cover. I like uh, his cuff. He's got a nice cuff yeah. on. That's yeah. fun. So yeah, good cuff. Good cuff. Uh, I kind of dig the. I'm not a fan. I, generally speaking, I don't love tattoos. Generally, um, I just I don't know. It depends on 
what you're saying with them. I feel like if you're just kind of, but these are these are cool tattoos. I mean, yeah. I, I I'm into it. A lot of text. Uh, on there. <laughs> uh, so number <laughs> number three is Lauren Hill, uh, who had obviously uh, a very big 1998 with the Miseducation of Lauren Hill, uh, one of the best one of the best albums full stop ever. I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a tremendous uh, piece of art. Uh, and, and it's a bummer. She didn't make more of them, um, but we'll, she, you know, she's got, she's got stuff. Uh, but uh, she's, I mean, I don't really know what to make of this cover quite frankly. It doesn't really feel very Lauren Hill to me. Um, but what do you guys think? I mean, I, don't she like kind of, I was going to say, she looks like a puppet. <laughs> like she looks like a marinette. Like someone's like waiting to pull her strings the way she's like hunched. I don't like that she's cut off on the top and the bottom. It's like she's like squished into the cover. Like she's like trying. <laughs> I totally agree with you. Also, can I, 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 I hate the dimension. My my uh, the juxtaposition of so Lauren Hill like being the cover star, then with pretty fly white rappers who don't suck. Like, why do we have to have Lauren Hill and white rappers? Like, it seems yeah. like. I, I fully article, agree with you. And I don't know who any of those white rappers are besides Eminem. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> who are the other ones? Can you, can you just... Everlast. Okay, yeah. Sure. And, and Remedy. Oh, no. Don't know that one. Um, <laughs> well, and also Pretty Fly feels like it's, is it a reference to the Offspring song or am I crazy? Am I making that up? Is that later? Pretty Fly for a white guy? Is that? I feel like that's later, but. I feel like it's later too. Um, so this cover to me feels a little bit, I don't really know how to explain it other than the fact that she's, we can't, okay. She's really hunched over. So we can't even really get a really good look at her, at her outfit, which seems to be a little varsity esque, like high school varsity, something or other. Um, but she's wearing heels, which are, as Tori mentioned, also cut off her, her beautiful hair is also cut off. Um, it's all just very strange. Um, and also doesn't really like, okay, so I'm going to read into this a little bit. Is the varsity supposed to be because the name of the album is miseducation of Lauren Hill? Perhaps. I don't know if this is some sort of a commentary on education. I don't know, but none of this feels like the album or the persona with which she had created. So right. um, it's all a little bit of a head scratcher. Also, another quick thing about the cover Please. lines. How Sugar Ray appeared <laughs> on two covers in a row. They're on the Rob Zombie one, and then this one, and then he gets his own fucking cover. And then he gets another fucking cover. I think it's like next, if I'm not mistaken. Or, <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, Mark McGrath was having a moment. <laughs> Sugar Ray is also one of those bands, and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more specifically when we get to his cover. Is like they were like a punk band. They were like this like hardcore punk band, and then they were like, you know what? Really? Let's totally sell the fuck out and become like. Uh, I don't even know what, how you describe them. They're kind of like ska. I don't know. I, I really don't know. <clears throat> um, but this this cover, I feel, does not do justice to one of the greatest musicians to come out of the nineties. Uh, but I mean, it's 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 that's that's what happened. Um, number four is a big one. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston, um, on the cover talking about, now you guys can talk about this cause I, I did not read this article. Oh so my I gosh. really would love, I'd really love to talk about this article. I feel like there's some, some good gossip in it. I assume. Oh my God. Um, 
this is so it's interesting. I my crush on friends was Monica. What that says about me, I don't know. Um, in terms of her personality, in terms of what have you. Um, obviously Jennifer Aniston was enormous in the 90s. I mean, yeah. it was you know, Rachel Green was an enormous figure on television and in pop culture. And then she marries Brad Pitt. And it's just like, it, it becomes sort of next level. Um, all of this being said, she never fully has a breakout career in features. Like she never really has a big movie career. Um, she has a couple hits here and there, but those hits all tend to be with her just being sort of the sidekick to some big comedic star like Jim Carrey or what have you, where you're just like, you're better than this. And it's unfortunate that you're being saddled with this type of stuff. I love Jennifer Aniston. I think she's tremendously talented. And yet at the same time, I feel like she never, as as huge as she was in the nineties, I feel like she never became, you know, Reese Witherspoon or, or whatever sort of name you want to sort of, you know, whatever it is, Julie Roberts, what have you. Um, what are your thoughts on this cover and this outfit where she looks like she's a magician's assistant? Um, <laughs> weird choice. But do you know, I don't know if you looked up her previous cover. So she did the no. Friends group shot yes, and then yes. she was on the cover in 96 and she's butt naked. Like, Is that the you, one where she's lying on the bed yeah. and it's just her yeah. yeah. And yeah. you can see like her little thong tan line and it's, and obviously, she, I mean, if I look like Jennifer Aniston, I would also probably do that. And the thing I, I, I the thing I do like about Rolling Stone in a weird way is that that the nudity is kind of equal opportunities. There's often as many like naked men. I mean, there's probably more naked women, but it's not like the men are always clothed. Um, but it's interesting that she went from that to the circus assistant. Like, it's an odd choice. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Tori, what do you think? This pose, <laughs> it looks like they caught her like mid switching poses. Like she, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it looks like she's like yeah. It's all it's all very confusing. Um, she doesn't she doesn't look particularly happy either. Like she looks caught in a to your point, Tori. She looks like she's been. I don't know, pestered a bunch and they just, this is the best that they could have. I don't know. It's, it's very strange. Um, uh, so in 99, she's married to Brad Pitt. Engaged. Engaged. They get married. Okay. They get married in 2000. Sorry. I looked it up. Cause no, he, no, no, he, please. He's very coy in his, uh, later no. one about whether, when they're getting married. Um, <laughs> And the whole interview is literally about her parents' divorce. And then if you read the 96 interview, that's also about her parents' divorce. Like, it's very odd. So she's still processing her parents' divorce? Oh, they're just trying to, like, it's, the second one is very therapy-like. Um, it's a woman interviewer whose name I did have and I now seem to have lost. She also interviewed Nicole Kidman, and that is also, like, therapy. Um, oh, my God, the Nicole. But- <laughs> But it's- what, I mean, the Nicole one, I cannot fucking wait to get to <laughs> that. But yeah, it, it, uh, the problem ultimately with both of these women, ultimately, Nicole, I would say as well, is they're defined by their partners as yeah. opposed to being defined by who they are, um, which, I mean, listen, it's still happening today. It's hopefully happening less. But back then, it feels like female... 
famous can I, people. Can I read a bit from, like, just a sentence? Please, please. The, the classic description. So, you know, you got to add color. you got to say what they're wearing, blah, blah, blah. Anison, wearing no makeup, is dressed in Levi's 501s and a tomato-colored T-shirt, but there's no hiding her spectacular figure. Like, I mean, obviously, okay. people want to cool. know that stuff, but it's like, Jen's the girl next door, but she's really hot. Yeah. It's it's like that. It's become a trope now. But um, in screenplays, the beautiful but she doesn't know it, yeah. which is the character description for every female <laughs> character that you see. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's. But yeah, I, I think that they definitely are trying to. Um, that that's kind of like the the previous cover, the one where she's lying on the bed, is a lot more of the girl next door, but like naughty. I guess is sort of what they're kind of going yeah. for. This is i guess it's it i mean ultimately it's going for something that's sort of splashy and surprising and and you know bold i guess which you know it should be said in 99 the only film she has and it's a great one is office space um and it's it's a she's great in that movie um and you'll you see that sort of uh her using those muscles again you know, in the breakup and in other sort of the good girl and in other sort of like off the beaten path a little bit or, or weirder movies. Um, so I do, you got to wonder, like, I don't know. You're just, I get that. You, I mean, I don't know Brad Pitt. I'm sure he's lovely. Um, but like, how is that a good idea for your career? Yeah, and it's annoying as well because on her cover, Brad is positioned. Like, she's Brad's girl, whereas on his cover, even though she's referenced a lot in the interview, her name is not mentioned at all. And it's really... really? On, on the cover, yeah, it's it's really telling that it's like, huh. this is Brad, and then here it's like, Brad and Jen. Yeah. This is also one of those Rolling Stone covers as well, where all of these other things that are listed on here are so <laughs> random and and just sort of like, so I'll just read them to for our listeners. Uh, Spring Break, Survival Guide to Beaches, Bars, Bods, and Bands. <laughs> then you've got Limp Biscuit, The Roots, Stones Tour, Jesse the Body Ventura, Mel Payback Gibson, Young Actors on the Verge, and Clinton's Reefer Madness, more pot butts than Nixon. And you're just like, what is this magazine? Like, what is it? It, it is so scattershot in terms of what it's trying to be. Um, but listen, I guess back in the day, you could sort of do that. I, I don't know. I, I have um, a, yeah, please. A little <laughs> the For the Young Actors on the Verge, do you guys have any idea who they might be talking about like i have the list but do you, do you have any guesses oh um, <laughs> all oh man it's all five guys, guys. Um, of, of course of course it's five guys <laughs> okay i'm gonna guess one okay is is wes bentley one of them no oh, oh. that was just, my guess i'm just trying to think what is josh hartnett one of them yep yep yes <laughs> <laughs> he was he was on the verge his entire career yeah. <laughs> that's why it made me laugh i was like josh hartnett of course okay scott the other man is scott speedman on that just scott speedman is yes. on the list. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> okay uh diego serrano who i've never heard of who sorry who that is diego serrano no no scott wolf right sure 
And finally, Jim Caviezel. <laughs> Interesting. Also with the Mel Gibson on the cover. Like that's yeah. like yeah. a Yeah. I mean, Patch of the Christ is right around the corner, so I guess maybe <laughs> that's uh that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, Josh Hartnett, oh God. He, yeah. I feel like someone needs to write a book about all the, like, buzzy people, like, people that, like, the, the almost, the yeah. people that got, like, really close and are famous. Like, let's be real. Josh Hartnett is famous. Like, he's huh. not not famous, but he's not, <laughs> he's not what they thought he was going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. Payback, by the way is also like a, a a fraught experience for Mel Gibson. It's it's definitely it's a weird movie which we've covered on the podcast. We liked it sort of. It's got a lot of problems. I've not seen um, it. I've never seen it's, it. It's it's actually it's it's written and directed by Brian Helgeland who um is probably most known for his uh, Academy Award winning co-writing of LA Confidential. Um, right. He sort of had like a, a really kind of big moment um, in the in the 90s. And he did he wrote and directed A Knight's Tale, everyone's favorite Heath Ledger movie where he plays a jouster. Is that what that's called? Jouster? So, yeah. yeah. It is what it is. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a strange thing. Clinton also on here uh, in, in, a, in a, I don't know, a, a dying moment of his uh, of his presidency. Uh, in the last year of his presidency, anyway, post yeah, I mean he's just been impeached in, <laughs> in January, um, so yeah, that happened. Um, are there any other bits in that interview that we should talk about in terms of uh, in terms of Jennifer, or uh, are we good? They just I don't, keep I, they just keep talking <laughs> about how Brad Pitt's making her extra radiant. That's one of the other things I have down. Anderson's extra radiance these days has been credited to Pitt, 35. Oh, fuck that. And she, she avoids, like, every Brad question, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... Is that a th- I assume that's a thing, right? Like, that, he, that, that, like, PR says, keep it under wraps, mystery, okay. mystery, mystery. Yeah. Uh, but he talks about it more, actually, which surprised me, especially because it's not on the cover line. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he goes way more into, like their relationship it's, it's mm-hmm. surprising but and also it's weird with her as well when you're talking about magazine covers that like stick in your mind there's obviously that vanity fair one post brad when she's in the yeah. white shirt and she makes the wasn't cool line um she is someone who maybe hasn't had a huge as expected movie career but in terms of cultural penetration like she's For sure. one of the main i would say yeah i mean when she what her first post on instagram is still like right. one of them. <laughs> Like everyone like lost their fucking minds. It's amazing. I love it. Um, so here we are at the uh, Sugar Ray cover with Mark McGrath um, with his frosted tips. The most, the most nineties. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not much to say about Mark McGrath other than the fact that they had some fucking huge songs. Uh, then he didn't he have like a bunch of, of a couple reality shows or something like that, like where he was the host of some stuff or something like that. Maybe I'm making that up. I really don't know. Um, I do. I, I actually don't really have much to say about Mark McGrath, so we'll breeze past this pretty quickly. But I do want to just say the special report on the holy war on gays that's on the cover oh. of Rolling Stone <laughs> caught my that. eye. Did you read that story? I did read it. Can you, can you quite- summarize that for us? Like depressing, actually. Oh. It's just like evangelicals, like the rise of evangelical Christians that's fair. trying to push people in the closet. Uh, okay, yeah. we don't need to talk about that. Um, but it's interesting that it that it 
uh, that it got the cover is interesting. Um, and now we are on to uh, Jimi Hendrix, oh, yeah. Guitar Gods, the legends of, of guitar playing, uh, finally speak. Um, the list of, of, of the legends that speak in this issue are Keith Richards, Eric Clapton, The Edge, Tom Morello, Joni Mitchell, Peter Buck, Jeff Buck, Wyclef Jean, Eddie Van Halen, Jenny Lang, Kurt Hammett, and John Fogarty. Oh, I'm sorry. And also Robbie Robertson, Brian Setzer, Buddy Kai, Steve Miller, and Beck. Um, cause it continues on the other side of the cover, which I, I didn't see. I mean, this is, this is, to me kind of a classically Rolling Stone cover in the sense of it being like, isn't rock and roll the fucking best guys? (laughs) That's basically (laughs) what this magazine was for a very long time. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get it. It's just, it's not just not really my bag, but I don't know what you guys thought of it. I mean, yeah, it feels like, I guess because in this year, obviously heading towards the new millennium. I mean, yeah. I they probably do these like every year anyway, but it felt like there was a lot more of them because I guess they were like, mm-hmm. it's the end of the century. So they're like, let's fill it with best ofs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, we, we will at some point on this podcast do a Y2K. Oh, please do. <laughs> because of just all of the paranoia that was, that surrounded this moment. Um, and how much of a shrug it ended up being is just truly spectacular. Um, I, here's my question to you guys about this cover. Uh, why is he standing on a T-bone steak? That's my question. With, and then like, there's like a hand sticking out of the steak. Giving a peace sign. Yeah. <laughs> it's all very strange. Um, the other, the other things on this cover are real life X Files, the Internet Millionaire Search for Aliens. This is wild. I read. This. Oh, I didn't read it. Okay, can you tell so us this, about it? Right? This is like a millionaire Silicon Valley guy who became a millionaire at eighteen, and he's twenty eight now. And he left everything behind because an alien came to him in his sleep, <laughs> and now he's investing all his money. In preparing the human race for its inevitable encounter with aliens. By the way, they're here, guys. But like the world's <laughs> on fire and Trump is president still, unfortunately, for 30 more days. So everyone's just like aliens, shmaliens, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. I love that guy. Someone should make a movie about him. Um, I also love this, this headline of considering Al Gore. <laughs> I would fucking hope you're considering this man. He could have been the president. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then something about Hugh Hefner, but who really cares about Hugh Hefner? Um, but also, it's next- like resurrected, and it's like he's not dead yet. I mean, he he might get that he looks like he might like it, but <laughs> correct, correct. He is not dead yet. Um, now we have, you know, arguably one of the biggest uh, people ever. Um, in uh, in music and certainly in the 90s, uh, on the cover is Kurt Cobain, um, who I guess was called the uh, artist of the decade on this cover. Um, he passes away in April of what year? Am 94. I, I, right. Um, so he's been gone for a while at this point. Um, and yet, you know, obviously we still feel his footprint today, uh, let alone, you know, the six years after his death. But, um, yeah, just, a, 
I always found him to be a very, obviously, arresting-looking person. He's a very attractive man, or uh, was an attractive man. Um, but you could always tell he just kind of hated to have his photos taken. Like, it just never felt like he ever really was, quote-unquote, letting us in. Um, but this is, I believe, I don't know if this was, this is a cropped shot from a different photo shoot, if I'm not mistaken. Is it not? I remember a photo shoot of the three of them all wearing suits. And I'm wondering if this is just a cropped, zoomed-in shot of that, but I could be wrong. It, yeah, it looks familiar to me. Um, and that they were like, we don't need the other guys. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> there, there is that, too. I was going to say, the funny thing about my introduction to Rolling Stone magazine is probably in an episode of My So Good Life, uh, when mm. Rayanne holds up the Kurt Cobain Has Died cover. And I think that was maybe my introduction to this magazine. So it's that weird kind of... Wow. Yeah, so that was like 94. That would be, yeah, 94 when he died. So that's that's my little, little link to finding out what this magazine was. Do you... Um, obviously... T- Obviously, Tori wasn't born yet, um, but um, but Emma, <laughs> do you remember where you were when you found out that he died? Did it leave an impression on you at the time? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I guess I would have just seen it on the, like, my parents watched the Six O'Clock News, so I would imagine it would have been on that. Weirdly enough, the River Phoenix death um, is the one that I remember as, like, my first celebrity death, if that makes sense, or, like, a young person dying who was famous. That one, like, hit me and then I, I was a fan of Nirvana I was like 12 when it, no it was 11 when it happened but I like a dinner lady at school had like made me like a cassette version of Nevermind before like he died because I, I was like I really want to listen to this album I, I have a question for yeah. the uh, for the North Americans what's a dinner lady so like I guess a, like the, a lunch lady oh, okay. like a cafeteria like yeah. a okay yeah okay, okay. yeah <laughs> But she made my parents sign like a thing to say it was okay because I guess the content was explicit or like it was it was very weird. That's that's crazy. I I remember. Uh, I mean, I was fourteen when he died, and uh, I mean, obviously, it was a very big deal. Yeah, um, it felt seismic. Um, but I I also got to be completely honest. I was not the biggest Nirvana fan in the world. That's not to take anything away from his unfortunate um, death. But um, I just remember it really fucking people up. And it also felt like um, immediately there was this who's going to fill the vacuum of Kurt Cobain. It was like musically everyone was like searching through trying to figure out like who's it going to be. which is insane to think about. Uh, and, I, and I would argue that no one really did. I mean, grunge kind of just goes, goes away post yeah. his death. And there's an argument to be made for whether or not grunge was a movement that could have lasted much longer past, you know, his death anyway. Um, it felt like it was already getting commodified and, and corporatized and, and sort of, um, so it was, it was a movement that ultimately couldn't survive. That's not to say that, that Kurt Cobain couldn't have had a career like Eddie Vedder or turned Nirvana into some sort of, I mean, there's any number of musical lanes he could have gone down. Obviously he was obviously a brilliant man. Um, but yeah, so he's on the cover of, of, of this. Uh, again, we've got a sort of a potpourri of other weird shit on here. Um, 
It's the essential recordings of the 90s issue. Uh, Terror and comedy, MTV's Tom Green. Uh, but I don't know about the terror part, but anyway. Uh, Orgy, Neil Young, Tori Amos, uh, Jennifer Lopez, Ben Folds 5, everyone's fave, favorite five. Um, it's such strange five things. Uh, and then uh, the government's marijuana report, again, still... Still banging the pot drum, and then uh, and then plus Hunter S. Thompson. So it's uh, it's it's something. Um, so here we are. We we are at arguably the biggest cover we'll probably cover, quote unquote, uh, of this batch. The the infamous Britney Spears cover. Um, so, baby, one more time. The song comes out in November of 98. The album drops in January of 99. Um, and it's just like, I mean, it's hard to, for people who uh, weren't listening to music or weren't sort of cognizant of these things back in 99. I mean, this thing was like a fucking virus. <laughs> like it literally just took over. The song, the the persona, the video. I mean, it was just, it was so pervasive that it was it, it was impossible to get away from, um, and and in this cover is really sort of in that maelstrom of Britney fever, you know, which ultimately leads to a million other pop artists, which some of which we'll we'll, we'll touch on in this episode. Um, the cover, if you haven't seen it, is Britney Spears laying on pink satin sheets. It looks like. Uh, holding a telephone because all teenagers are on the phone. <laughs> with a cord. <laughs> with a cord, indeed. With a cord. Um, a Teletubby. The name of the Teletubby is escaping me. I'm not sure which one it was. Tinky Winky? Do you guys know which one it was? Tinky Winky. <laughs> I like, just went through like the song in my head. I was like, Tinky Winky. Lala. That was fantastic. Um, and she's wearing a a black bra um, and a pair of uh, underwear, I guess, or very short shorts, depending on how you think about this, uh, that are polka dotted with some sort of a little tiny black bow. Um, yeah, she's got a shirt that is been, it looks like it's just been torn open <laughs> i mean it is a very sexual cover um that is that is taking this lolita thing of hers of like oh who me <laughs> thing um what do you guys think of this cover i mean it's <laughs> it, it is literally like the defining for my for like the era that I know Rolling Stone. This is, other than that X-Files cover, I guess, and the Kirk Fame one, this would have been, like, me being like, oh, yeah, Rolling Stone, I know what that is. Um, sure. Like, well, because I, I realized, like, I always bought Enemy when I was younger. I mean, I don't know if Rolling Stone was available where I live. It might have been, like, an import. Like, it's available now, and I bought it. Um, but, yeah, at the time, I didn't really consider it something that I would be able to find. But, yeah, this cover is... It, it, it's that juxtaposition of, uh, yeah, the Lolita thing. So, yeah, I mean, 
So I guess my question to you, Tori, being slightly younger than we are, um, but only a, a little bit, um, uh, I'm kidding, uh, is it feels like this is the beginning of something, which is sort of um, how far can we go with teens on our covers, essentially, and and speaks to sort of this audacity of youth, of, of sort of... of it's, it, it feels like it's this push and pull, which I'm, I'm, I'm having a tough time articulating, but there's this, first of all, there's the over-sexualized element of just men who like seeing younger women dressed scantily. So there's mm-hmm. that, um, which apparently will never get old. <laughs> apparently that's just, uh, I don't know. Uh, and then you have sort of teens that are looking to shock. Right, like the the sort of looking for attention, forgive that expression, but that kind of mixed into all of this, and the media just weaponizing the fuck out of both of those things. Yeah. Um. So that's why I think this cover feels like such a lightning rod because it feels like it's this moment where pop music obviously is all the rage, but it's also like, oh, we can also just go this far with this. Do you feel like this is all that audacious now, Tori? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's kind of tame now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like my knowledge of this cover, even at the time, like, well, I have a memory of seeing this cover. I don't know when, but it wasn't it's like scandalous to me. <laughs> Just like anything yeah. Britney did, I was like, this is incredible. Like, Britney, look at you go. <laughs> Well, sure. There is. I guess that's my other question, which is, is there, and I, I hate to even ask this question as a man, but is there some semblance of empowerment in this image? I mean, potentially, I think, sorry, I was going to, I, was gonna, I think, I think it's, it's important to recognize as well that the photographer, David LaChapelle, is a gay man. And so it doesn't have that same, if it was Terry Richardson, this would be the worst fucking thing I'd ever seen. But you know what I mean? Like, it takes away the kind Didn't of... Did he do the Gossip Girl one, though? Isn't that Terry Richardson? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, is the difference. Like, it's still... I think it's an, a gay one, too. Do yeah. Oh. Yeah. This uh, in in the the book that I have. God, I'm such a nerd. Um, it, uh, there's a quote from David LaChapelle that says, "I said to Brittany, you don't want to be button, buttoned up like Debbie Gibson. Let's push it further and do this whole Alita thing." She got it. She knew it would get people talking and excited. So it was very contrived. That I mean, Dave LaChapelle, who has had an enormous career, um, and and it's interesting that you say that because you can tell, um by the way, the contrasty colors, the way that he sort of, which is a very, you know, there's a lot of very high contrast, poppy sort of colors in a lot of his photography. Um, so you definitely sense that, especially in the periphery of the, of the satin. Um, but yeah, it does feel, um, the look in her eyes definitely has an element of sort of, obviously bedroom eyes, but, but mixed into it does feel a little bit like she knows what she's doing. Yeah. I think what's more disturbing is the intro to the piece, which was written by a man, Uh, which, which can I read this? (laughs) Okay. Can you please, 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 please. Okay. Britney Spears extends a honey thigh across the length of a sofa, keeping one foot on the floor as she does so. 
Her blonde street hair is piled high, exposing two little diamond earrings on each earlobe. Her face is fully made up down to the carefully applied lip liner. The baby fat logo of Spears' pink t-shirt is distended by her ample chest and her silky white shorts with dark blue piping clingly snug, uh, sorry, cling snugly to her hips. She cocks her head and smiles receptively. Okay, that's fucked up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh. The words are worse than the images. Like, much worse. Yeah. Ample yeah. chest. Ample chest Ample is chest. not okay. <laughs> no. Not okay. No. Um, no. It's, yeah, that's really interesting. I, it, the, I imagine that the article certainly sounds far more misogynistic than the cover would convey necessarily um yeah i don't know guys britney spears <laughs> is i mean she's a complicated figure in a in an interesting way you know i do feel that she's hasn't really been allowed to live her life basically since the moment that she became uh famous um it's it's just, it's a lot. And it's it's sort of, there's so much to unpack with her. And it does feel like this issue, and by that I mean the issue of Rolling Stone, does really kind of um, start it all off. It does feel like it starts the fire a little bit. but And I don't know if uh, Tori wants to share who gets a mention in the piece. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming because they were both uh, in Mickey Mouse Club together, correct? She's watching Felicity during this interview. (laughs) But she does say that it's too neurotic for her. (laughs) But then she also... I mean, that's fair, I guess. She does That might be why I love it. Yeah, she calls Carrie Russell breathtaking, Breathtaking, though. Yes. I mean, she is. She says, isn't she breathtaking? So cute. I was like, so true, Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't love Brittany before, uh, how do you love her now? Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's interesting. She calls it too neurotic. That's interesting. Right. Because it's like that, that actually, that's such a word choice that I wouldn't necessarily have associated with Britney Spears. It's not a direct quote. It's yeah, just it's not a direct uh, quote. It's not a direct quote. <laughs> so I think he's maybe inferred it. Potentially, but then she do, she does like to read. Brittany that always had a book with her. There was always this thing about uh, there's a really good episode of Mystery Show. I was just gonna say, the, like it's so good. Which yeah, R.I.P. That amazing show. Um, yeah, so yeah, Brittany Brittany likes to read. I would say other than that intro, the article is like she just seems so sweet, and it makes me yeah. so sad. <laughs> so sad. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. The other, the other thing that I think about in terms of like um, the path not taken or like the what the careers would have been like if her and Justin had stayed together. Like I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. I think me and both but it's, are like no. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that. Listen, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and like ride for Justin Timberlake necessarily. <laughs> but I, but I do think that it was like they were the the king and queen of pop in that moment yeah and who could forget them in head to toe denim Literally. whatever the, <laughs> i don't know what red carpet it was but it was something to I remember i think it was an mtv awards of some kind it was bonkers yeah it Iconic. Me laugh. It was but... like someone just draped them in denim and said go <laughs> it's crazy. Um, I but i guess i just feel like What's his face? What's her boy? Uh, her husband or the, the father of her children? Kevin Federline. Oh this was not 
the right guy. <laughs> Something that made me laugh is they mentioned like the the Justin Timberlake rumors, but they also mentioned Lance Bass. So like the rumors. <laughs> <laughs> <you> Lance- <laughs> really? Yeah. Um. So also on this cover, uh, we have uh, Bill Maher still pissing people off um, back in 99. Um, Norm MacDonald, ready or not for primetime. Turns out he was not. I didn't even know he No offense to Norm MacDonald. <laughs> uh, Cher, obviously having a huge hit in Believe, where she sounded like a robot, but everybody loved it. Um and the Lost Tribes of the Amazon. I don't, I don't know what that is, but um, there you go. Uh, okay, moving on to another lightning rod of pop culture at the time is Eminem. Yeah, uh, looking like an asshole. I skipped this yeah. one as well. <laughs> yeah. we, don't, we don't need to talk about him too much, but he was a big deal. Obviously, sure. I would I, I would argue, you know, when when he first came onto the scene. I didn't really get it because he felt like it all felt like a bit. It felt like a sketch. The whole Slim Shady thing to me, I was just like, I don't, I don't really get this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that when the Marshall Mathers EP comes out um, and Stan and, and it just, it, it did feel like he was digging a little deeper, getting a little darker. Um, that made him a little bit more interesting to me. But again, like I'm not, I'm not the biggest Eminem fan. And this, this, this cover makes me want to punch him in the face. Oh, um yeah, the cover and the article. I was like, I hate this. Uh, the, the article is titled "Low Down and Dirty White Boy Rap: Eminem's Twisted Life Story." Uh, also on this cover, we have uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers' "Red Hot Comeback." Californication, a very big album in '99. Uh, um, some Marilyn Manson and Hole, uh, which is a, so. What's amazing is on the previous cover, it says. Hole and Manson going on tour. This cover says Manson and Hole tour DOA. I also, I, yeah. so I also saw Marilyn Manson in '99. Um, the at Big Day Out. Um, it was like a one day festival. Uh, I didn't go for Marilyn Manson. Um, I vague you remember him showing his butthole. Um, because Holy shit. yeah, at sixteen, Ow. that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> That's something that stays with you. Yeah, so that that was so. So I, the fact that I saw Hole and Marilyn Manson just separately. So. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't even really my, have. I have my only note that. on this one is in the article. Eminem keeps talking about his life, like what a hard life he's had, and like he said, my mom was doing drugs and all this stuff, and then they keep having like his mom commenting, and like that's not true. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> It's like I've never done drugs in my life. That's interesting. That makes you wonder whether or not like so much of Eminem is is a persona and and that it's all kind of a built up thing. But um, I want to talk about the next two at the same time because they were released, I believe, in the same week. Um, This was a, a new teen spirit, which, God, like how many weeks earlier you have. Kurt Cobain, and now this is the new teen spirit. Um, Jesus. Uh, it's a special issue. Uh, two different covers. The first one has the Backstreet Boys on it. Um, it's, I mean, it's your classic Backstreet Boys pose of just yeah. the five of them just being like pretty innocuous, just sort of mm-hmm. 
nice <laughs> enough guys, not really, you know, particularly interesting. Um, and on this cover also has the Texas heroin massacre, <laughs> one town, 18 dead. Dark, very dark. <laughs> dark as fuck to have on you. Um, and then they refer to uh, the Jennifer Love Hewitt cover, which is the other cover uh, where she is referred to as the love goddess. Um, I don't, I don't really know how to feel about that, but. Um... Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I mean, I guess I want to just start by saying Backstreet Boys are in sync. If you had to choose gun to your head, which are you which are you choosing? In sync. I mean, Literally because of Britney. I'm not even kidding. Like, that's why I loved insane. I <laughs> Emma refuses to answer the question. She's taking the fifth. I, I just <laughs> I think they're both fine. I would dance to their songs when I was out. I would probably <laughs> not listen to it in my house. Like no no sure. but, so they were great at what they did. Um yes. But yeah, boy bands weren't really my thing. Um My my roommate um was uh how old she was 10 in 1999 um so she was very much into the pop scene and i remember years ago i posed this question to her and said in sync or backstreet boys and she was like i can't possibly choose they're both doing drastically (laughs) different things and i was like that's true that's so true Can I throw up a curveball? So, you know. I I would go S Club Seven if I had to pick. Love that. Love their show. That's that. sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. Great show. They were great. Um, yeah, that's 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 a good that's a good call. Um, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Just to talk about her for a quick second here, because she did have a big moment. I mean, Party of Five. She was on that, um, and then I know what you did last summer. Can't hardly wait. I mean, she was every uh, teenage guy's dream sort of girl next door. That's what this article like actually says. Uh, her success results from her ability to strike a balance between being the woman of our dreams and the girl next door. So, yeah. They, I mean, they also definitely... call her America's most adorable cottage industry. <laughs> right. I don't know. How, I don't know what that means. <laughs> it was because she, she was doing everything allegedly like singing, producing, but it seems sure. like an odd, yeah. I don't remember yeah, any of that. Yeah, I, I do remember <laughs> she saying too. This is, you know, it's funny. This is sort of a a, a prime example of like, um, it felt like back in the '90s was sort of the beginning of the 
I I want to be like a triple or quadruple threat. Like I want to be an actor. I want to be a singer. I want to be a dancer. I want to like, and JLo is, is also coming out of this too. Like her first album comes out in 99. So it's, it's certainly like the beginning of that. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting. And I, and I do think that, you know, it's, it's so funny how like the Academy and I would say sort of like Hollywood by and large doesn't take too well to musicians that decide they want to be actors it's like stay in your fucking lane (laughs) which i think is interesting um but the music industry is like sure come on in the water's warm like whatever if you want to sing we'll let you sing i just think it's kind of amazing also this image like of her in the white and she's in this like you know under sheets yeah it's it's like the opposite of the britney one in a way which she's like 20 years old in this picture so she's actually older but she looks younger yeah they're really playing up her sort of this innocence thing it's it's interesting um she had a spin-off as well right that year that didn't do anything because i think that's in the tv issue um they 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 wanted they really thought that was going to (laughs) happen people loved her in party of five it's not it's not shocking that they tried to do a spin-off of it but um yeah that show was just uh, too depressing. Like I watched it, and I remember just being like, "This is like the one. like so depressing." It's just, and it's it 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 just it leans into it so uh, hard too. Yeah, like it's it, it's so precious. There's so many pregnant pauses. It's it's all just very. It's too much. It's very rot. Never seen it. You would actually. I think you would love it. For <laughs> it not, I don't say that in a, in, a, in a derogatory way. Like it's it's very like. Part of the, I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. Part of the problem, and I'm sure Emma, you can attest to this. The problem with 90s shows that are streaming is the fucking music isn't yes. with it, yeah. so it's all bad because yeah. they're just like Terrible. killed it with this shitty. Like, listen, Felicity. Obviously, I kept my head down and I keep watching it because I love it. But like, just not having terrible. Paula Cole in the credit sequence of Dawson's Creek is a crime. Oh, so see, much okay. I have a thing here. So when this show first aired in the UK, season one, we had that other theme song. So really? were, Yes. So for the first season, we had the other theme song. So I love it. I love that other theme song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, I, I know. I'm yeah. sure you're telling the truth. So people people got really mad about the, the theme song replacement. And I'm like, it's great. Like this. Yeah. I don't know why we had that uh, other version, but uh I'm team that um, version. <laughs> fair enough. So now we have uh, we got Mike Myers, Austin Powers. That's He's fine. back, baby. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts on on Austin Powers, guys? Fans, not fans? No, I liked it at the time. Um, I haven't revisited it. So I, I'm curious because being British, Emma, sure. he is. This is this is far more of a sort of. He's mocking, or or it's more of a parody of your spy content than yeah. it is North American spy content, right? So, like, people that it, it's I guess what I'm saying is I think it's funny that this was a hit in the United <laughs> States because, like, it's it's he's making fun of like Peter Sellers and like and like a whole bunch. It's it's like stuff that you're just like I'd just be surprised. I just was surprised that that it was a big hit. It's um, very niche. And yeah, the fact I don't know. It was we, huge, wasn't it? Very niche. Beyonce did a song. Well, the for, like, second the one, one, which we covered in a previous episode, 
Beyonce did a song for the third one. Madonna did a song for the second one. Um, uh, Beautiful Stranger, I believe, was the name of it. And she's yeah. in the music. He's in the music video with her. And yeah, it was a big, big hit. This thing was enormous, and it cost like nothing. And whatever, people loved it. Uh, also on this cover, we got Nas. Ricky Martin, Insane Clown Posse, three people never spoken of in the same sentence ever. And then Life and Death at the Columbine High School because around this time uh, you had the Columbine shooting. Um, yeah, very strange, very strange cover. Um, but, you know, whatever. It's it's Austin Powers. People loved it. It's interesting from this point as well, the Columbine stuff, um, is that it literally like weaves its way. And I, obviously I understand why it weaves its way through because of, there was the pop culture aspect and who they were blaming. Um, sure. But it, it's interesting to see what how seismic it was. And it should it was seismic. And it yeah. should be seismic that something like that happens. And it kind of is awful that we're so desensitized to it now that if that happened, we'd be like, okay, that's another one. Oh, um, it's like if it happens now, you know, they, they pull some episodes of television and yeah. postpone them or they postpone the you know the release of a, of a movie or something and and then we all move on it's it's fucked it, there's it's insane um you know it's it's it was obviously a very big deal um and in the, it's sort of in the pop culture universe and and we'll touch on it because it comes up a little bit on the on the next cover as well of people that are being blamed um is pop culture to blame or video games to blame is you know marilyn manson to blame is the matrix to blame like who did this it can't possibly be anyone else's fault but pop culture right um so uh the next cover is uh an infamous figure a, a, a polarizing figure who still to this day drives people crazy jar jar binks finally getting his moment in the spotlight on the cover of rolling stone magazine the headline is great though. Jar Jar Superstar is like honestly <laughs> iconic. <laughs> Jar Jar Superstar is iconic in the fact that it never happened. Right? <laughs> yeah. I remember this cover. Um, I remember the 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 build-up, obviously, to episode one was was insane. I mean, tr- truly unlike anything that had ever happened before, with for obvious reasons. Um, this cover is a allusion to another Rolling Stone cover, twenty uh, some odd years or eighteen some odd years previous, which was ET being on the cover of Rolling Stone. He's holding a cover. He's holding an issue of Variety, and it says "A Star Is Born," and it's literally like I I put I posted this on on uh, Twitter. Um, if anyone is interested in seeing it, you can see the covers next to each other. It's just obvious that they're like Jar Jar is the new ET. Uh, <laughs> spoiler: He was not. Um, no one liked Jar Jar, uh, and unfortunately, the man who portrayed Jar Jar went through a whole host of uh, unfortunate depression because of that. Um, you asked why, Tori, and it's a good—it's a good question. It's a good question because, like, yes, please. It's—it's it's kind of sad because I saw this cover and I was—I said why, and then I read the article and it's about the guy who plays Jar Jar, and I was like, why couldn't you just put him on the cover? Right. Why it's so sad because it's such a sweet article about how excited this guy is, and yeah. to know what happens in the future. It's so it's sad. really sad. I mean, to your point, I think that all things being equal, if this had been a suit, right? Like it rather right. than like a, a CG mm-hmm. creation, I'm sure he would have been like holding the fucking headpiece or something like that, or something mm-hmm. to that. Like I think, but I think they were kind of 
really fully baked into this horrendous CG creation that they had created. Uh, you know, it's it, it's also interesting. You say why, <laughs> and I think to myself, considering all the Star Wars covers we've had before this and the ones that would come after this, generally speaking, it's a cast shot. It's usually like the full cast, all there, Star Wars. This is like all in on Jar Jar. And and it's unfortunate. Um, I have a question. Yes, please. In the article, was it, they say Jar Jar was a gay pioneer. Was this a thing? Uh, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry, Tori. You broke up a little bit there. Could you repeat that for me? <laughs> okay. So they say that, they, that the movie sparked talk about Jar Jar being a gay pioneer in the Star Wars galaxy. Yeah, okay. So that's that's. I thought that's what you said, but I just wanted to be 100% sure before I said <laughs> I've never heard anything like that in my life. And I don't quite, I don't quite know why. I mean, I mean, he's an outsider in his in his alien race i guess i don't know i find that's a you got to really want it you got to really <laughs> twist yourself into pretzels to say that jar jar is a gay icon well they trying to make <laughs> him happen and they were like i know this is how, how we can do it <laughs> by the way that would have been a great way to get i mean like i mean that's uh, they, um they, also uh, yeah sorry i was gonna say they wanted what the babadook has like <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't right uh, also on this cover you got Tom Waits, Chili Peppers, Jerry Hollowell, uh, Kosovo Faces of Fear and uh, Columbine Whose Fault Is It a Marilyn Manson article that he wrote um, you know defending essentially freedom of speech and how that's not the reason that people uh, shoot their friends at schools um, so now we're at my favorite cover of 1999 um, I, I mean first of all I love Eyes Wide Shut. Um, it is one of my favorite films of 99. Um, this is also, <laughs> I would argue, Nicole Kidman looking perhaps her most stunning. Like, she's really, this is a beautiful cover. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I had this issue. I was interested, in, obviously, in the article about Eyes Wide Shut. But I also was just like, I don't know. There's something about this cover that feels very sort of, not Nicole Kidman up until this point, I guess is sort of what I'm getting at. This feels very much like a eyes wide shut for all intents and purposes felt like her turning a page as an actor. Um, and I, I would argue, I don't know that she was ever respected as an actor as much up until this point. And a lot of that had to do with her making shitty movies with her husband, like days of thunder and, uh, far and away. Uh, yeah, neither of which, uh, did her any favors, but, um, this movie really kind of takes her to the next level. Her, I mean, her performance, her scene in the bedroom, um, before is just the best. Um, what are your thoughts on this cover? And, and then did you guys read the article? This is just like looking through the covers. This is like objectively like the best cover of 99. Just like the most striking one. 
that actually looks good. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Emma? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's very evocative and it, you are going to be like, Oh, it's, and the fact that it's, there's no mention of Tom on the cover, which is nice. Like yes. she, she doesn't get the, because, and it's also interesting, I guess, because Jen's TV and this feels like how TV and film, obviously in 99 was seen as these two very different things. Whereas now they've kind of merged a little bit. So like Nicole is a superstar, like movie star. She doesn't need her husband's name on there. Whereas cause Jen's TV, they're like, Oh, we should probably mention Brad. Mm-hmm. That's how I read it. I I would I tend to agree. I also feel like it felt like a little bit of a coming out party for Nicole Kidman in terms of like it's time to take her seriously. Um, you know, she's in a Stanley Kubrick film and blah blah blah. Um, you know, and I, I do think that this film successfully destroys her marriage um, and then uh, sends her off into a much better trajectory of her career. Um, I mean, the idea of of spending 18 months with Stanley Kubrick just (laughs) destroying your marriage, like doing everything in his power to make you resent each other and also not sexually attracted to each other in case you were, I'll make sure you're not by the end of this production is it shouldn't surprise anybody. But this, um I was gonna say yeah, this, it's it's really it's it's really something. This one also has the best lead. Like the opening sentence is Nicole Kidman is weeping. Like yes. that, is, that is that is <laughs> attention grabbing. <laughs> like because like, he's just died, so like I guess yeah, I'll like I, <laughs> <laughs> I really now I'm really wishing that I that I actually read this article. I need to find this article and read it. There's a um, lot of Tom. I did read it in '99, but sorry, what was that? Tori? There's a lot of Tom in this article. I would say. Oh, well, I, bet, about the I movie, bet. But and then yeah, there's a Tom quote where he said, "We're gonna sit back together, at 80 years old, and say, remember <laughs> last century when he made that movie.'" <laughs> By the way, that might still happen. They just won't be married when they do it. <laughs> And then, like, at the end, Nicole, like, has the interviewer, like, put money on her and Tom staying together. (laughs) Stop it. Yeah. They divorced two years later. (laughs) That's, that is fantastic. I mean, they, yeah. This is, this is also, so, Nicole Kidman, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a very big fan of Nicole Kidman. I, I really do love her. And I think her career has been fascinating. I think that To Die For was sort of the film that everyone thought was going to be the one, which is a couple years earlier, uh, which is a tremendous pitch black comedy, which shows that she can do comedy really well. It's just a very specific brand of comedy. She's not great at broad comedy. <laughs> and when they put her in broad comedies, it doesn't work. Uh, Bewitched comes to mind. Um but this is sort of a um, a moment for her. I still can't believe she wasn't nominated for an Academy Award for Eyes Wide Shut. I'm, I'm actually surprised that Eyes Wide Shut didn't get more Academy Awards by and large. Um, it's shocking to me how few it got. If, if I'm being honest, I'm not sure it got any. Um, but the Tom and Nicole thing, like this is – the reason that I think this movie destroyed their career, their, their marriage, is, uh, is that – Everyone thought this was going to be like a really hot, sexy movie between these two people, which, let's be real, have no sexual chemistry. (laughs) 
Like yeah. they just they just don't. Um, but he doesn't really with anyone. He's like one of these figures who he doesn't really have that much. Like, no. like I don't need to ever see a Tom Cruise sex scene. Like, no offense to the guy. Like, I would I just, argue the only movie he has really good chemistry is Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Like they they do have great chemistry and when like they're kissing and making out and whatever I'm like there, there's this this works. But that's basically it. Like he's just not he's not a I don't I agree with you. I don't see him as a charismatic lead. Um but then on top of all of that <laughs> they're in a film by the least sexiest <laughs> filmmaker. Like Stanley Kubrick's not a guy that I'm just like, oh, he's gonna make some. He's gonna make a really hot. He's gonna make a cold, <laughs> cerebral, fucked up, weird sex movie. I just, it's fantastic. That's what <laughs> I mentioned on the article too. Like Nicole's like, people think this is gonna be like a like a sexy movie. Like they're gonna be surprised when they see it. <laughs> and let me tell you, America was surprised when they saw it. It's funny how long it takes Scientology to get mentioned. Like, I assume, because I was reading it, I was like, this is not getting mentioned. They must have, like, had a thing. And it, and it gets right at the end. And Nicole, like, she asks, did you have to embrace Scientology in order to marry Tom? No way. I would never have married him if that was it. Which seems like a lie. <laughs> like, yeah. She just says that she likes parts of Scientology and that she's like, I like a bit of Judaism and a bit of Catholicism. I'm a melting pot. <laughs> She's like I went to church last week. <laughs> I I gotta say, the, the the Scientological elements of their marriage make very little sense to me. I, I also their adopted children, of which we never see or hear from or, or know anything about these these children. Um, it's it's it really does feel like Nicole Kidman <laughs> was some sort of an anomaly in in the Tom Cruise Scientology sphere because everyone since for all intents and purposes um either like your penelope cruz which i guess basically was like yeah no i'm not getting into that scientology <laughs> shit and then that just went away um and then obviously katie Holmes, which went all in on it um for good or bad depending on how you look at it but uh yeah it's it's it is it's it's very interesting i'm not i mean i'm i'm, I'm it's just interesting um it's a great cover it's a great it's a great issue uh other things on this cover, we've got Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor talking about their new album, The Fragile, which would have the the dubious achievement of being the steepest drop in the history of billboards from one, from its first week to its second week. Mm-hmm. Um, people did not like The Fragile, but we will be doing an episode on it soon, and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, Missy Elliott, Santana, <laughs> Limp Biscuit, and South Park Fights Back. Uh, this is the beginning of the Limp Biscuit, well. like... <laughs> Five mentions in a row after this. It's insane. People love Nookie. What can I tell you? They really do. Uh, Next up, we've got Ricky Martin. Ricky gets deep talking sex, love, marriage, and yoga. Um, uh, I don't know what to say about this, guys. Ricky Martin was a moment... um, and I would say sort of the, 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 the Latin music, however you want to kind of describe it, Latin pop that sort of, and he was certainly at the tip of the spear uh, on it. Um, Living La Vida Loca, guys. You just, you couldn't get away from it. It was pretty bad. I Martin fan as well. Were you? There's, there's a video of me on Christmas receiving a Ricky Martin cassette <laughs> tape. I think it's from 99 too. 
and I lose my mind. <laughs> you need to post that video. I will. Like, I'm like, oh my God, it's Ricky Martin. I like start singing. <laughs> I bet he would love that. Ricky Martin, by the way, hasn't aged a day since 1999 no. somehow. That guy is just, he, yeah. It's, it's interesting uh, seeing yeah. as well, like having the whole sexuality thing and obviously mm-hmm. there was like this constant people were asking him or at least alluding to the fact that he might be gay yep. and I, I i read this profile and then i read when he came out and how it was just like really tough for him and i think it, like obviously things are better now in terms of like how people approach uh the lgbtq mm-hmm. community but it just i just it just made me sad reading about him like and having to put on this front and it's just bullshit, basically. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's obviously it's unfortunate. He should be able to to live the life he wants to live. That 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 should go without saying. And the idea that um, that that might take him out of certain demographics or hurt record sales in some form or another is ultimately, as we can tell now, pretty short sighted. Um, but we're also talking about a time where, like, you know, a few years from now. Um, I guess they're not the Dixie Chicks anymore, but the Chicks would have their old blow up with with George W. Bush, and you know it, it it it's. I guess it just goes to show that you know some music speaks to a certain demographic, and those demographics, basically religious zealots, um, those people tend to be a prickly. Who knew? Yeah, but it is. Uh, it's it's a nice cover, though. Um, you know, it's it's what it is. Um, also on the cover, Limp Bizkit, Smash Mouth, Celebrity Deathmatch. I don't know what that is. Do you not uh, remember the claymation thing on MTV? Oh, no. no, on MTV, they would like, yeah, yeah it was like claymation fighting each other. <laughs> I'm from Toronto, guys. So oh, I didn't have right. I didn't have MTV, so. It was insane. <laughs> yeah, it sounds crazy. Um, and then a special report on George W. Bush, the GOP's empty suit. I read this. <laughs> kind of making a strong point. Uh, next, we have Angelina Jolie on the cover of the hot list of 1999. Um Yeah, I mean, Angelina Jolie. So, okay. I like Angelina Jolie. Uh, I actually think she's she's quite good in Girl Interrupted. She should not have won an Academy Award for the performance, in my humble opinion. Uh, She was up against, uh, for those that don't know, and I know I beat this drum a lot, but she was up against (laughs) Samantha Morton in Sweet and Lowdown. Um, Oh, my God. Uh, Catherine Keener in Being John Malkovich. why am I drawing a blank on her name? She was a uh, hereditary. Uh, Tony Collette. Tony Collette in The Sixth Sense. And I'm drawing a blank on what the fifth one was. And it's bothering me. Long story short, I don't think Angelina Jolie should have won. I think Catherine Keener should have won. But um, it really sends her on sort of a massive trajectory. I mean, this is someone who becomes essentially a movie star in – over the course of a year. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's pretty insane. Um, she's also like a ridiculously sexy individual. <laughs> like there's just, she, she, and she, she weaponizes it and any sort of chance that she gets. Um, what are your thoughts on this cover? Uh, I think it's interesting that we get Brad, Jen and uh, Angelina on the, this uh, year. I think uh, that's kind of fun. <laughs> Always bring it back. <laughs> that is amazing entry. 
it's, it's the classic. It's another kind of bad shot. Um, like she's got she. So her gaze, if you compare hers to Britney's, hers is obviously way more overt, and it's good because she's older. So. <laughs> The cover line, though, Devil... Yeah, I mean, Angelina Jolie looks like she's going to devour you. Yeah, Devil Doll (laughs) is the headline, and some of the stuff in the profile is dubious as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even... Honestly, there's the phrase embryonic bombshell talking about her playing, like, kissing games with boys in the playground. Yeah. That's how the reporter refers to her. Embryonic bombshell. Great album, though. Right? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, she's she is definitely. I mean, listen, she she's she's looking at the camera like she's about to literally uh, unhinge her jaw and just like a praying mantis. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, also on this cover, Limp Biscuit, third 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 <laughs> issue in a row. Corn uh, and the rock porn connection. <laughs> don't know what the fuck that means. Um, my first time, True Tales from American Pie. This is really, that is a fucked up piece. I don't know if yeah, you read that, Tori. Oh my god. Just pressuring <laughs> these people to reveal when they lost their virginity. So it was the cast, article. yeah, the cast of American Pie making them explain when they lost their virginity. That is not okay. No. What the fuck were they thinking? So, so weird. I mean, I guess it's. The, I guess the thought was like the movie's about losing your virginity, so you know you gotta fess up. But like that's inappropriate. And the, they're really judgy because the guys are all quite like, like they don't want to talk about it. But the girls, yeah. and, and the girls are a little bit more. So they're like, oh, it's strange that women want to talk about sex, but the guys don't. Yeah, it's fucked. I mean, these are a bunch of like emo like. These actors are not guys that are going to want to talk about their, but that's uh, also on this cover. You got Carlos Santana, Lit, a band I completely forgot existed, uh, and Blink 182. Um, next up, we have, uh, we, I don't, I kind of would just, this is just a, a live issue about yeah. like Woodstock 99, so I'm, there's really no reason to, to talk about that. But now we can talk about a cover that shouldn't exist, that should be burned. Um, and is it's shocking to me that this exists. This is the stuff of nightmares. Uh, David Spade got a cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And not just any cover, the hot and horny cover. Um, it's not okay. Uh, sexy bombs, torrid teens, freaks, geeks, and aliens, fall TV forecast. Um, I... I I, did you read this? You read this uh, this article, Tori? Okay, cool. Because I want to yeah, hear all about it. I mean... <laughs> but before we get to that, um, let's talk about what we're looking at here, which is a... I guess I could only describe this as a Midsummer Night's Dream situation of some sort. Two women models, of which I've never seen before or since, um, are newts in some sort of a Garden of Eden uh, and David Spade has hoof legs. Mm. He's got the legs of a horse. It's pure nightmare fuel. <laughs> it's it's real nightmare fuel. Um, and he just looks, you know, like he's naughty. Um, it's fucked. It's fucked on so many levels. I don't like it. I don't. I don't. I want it to stop. Um, can we talk about the fall TV part of it? 
it's so weird like the, the connections they make is just like there's a hot mom in this show there's a hot mom in this show <laughs> there's hot teens there's a lot of hot teens manchester yeah. prep so the cruel intentions spin-off which obviously then and then got made into cruel intentions too uh which they call the anti-felicity they say manchester prep is the anti yeah, that, that makes sense yeah and that's why no one watched it. <laughs> it's you know, it's it's funny as we talk about all of this kind of like um, sexually charged, ginned up kind of like ridiculous. It, it it does make me think about like around this time you've got Maxim magazine, you've got a lot of these like these kind of like sexed up magazines for boys that um, uh, I guess let's be honest uh, can't buy Playboy and Penthouse, but they could sure buy a Maxim magazine at the convenience store. Um, it feels a little bit like they're they're feeding that demo. Uh, but, I mean, that's yeah. also an excellent phrase that made me laugh a lot. Instead of beefcake, veal cake, which is the worst thing I've ever heard. So talking about like the young hot guys, their veal yeah. cake. It's so fucked up. They also talk about the West Wing and they describe Rob Lowe's character as a hornier, prettier Stephanopoulos stand-in. <laughs> I mean, by the way, that's not an unfair not wrong, categorization but... of the rule. But veal, veal cake to me no. is, first of all, to, to quote Sex in the City, it's a morally questionable meat. And then to somehow merge it with sex makes it even more upsetting. Um yeah. The next issue that we have is uh, The Greatest Conscience of the 90s. It's a special issue. Eddie Vedder's on the cover. Um in a in a mosh pit, uh, which became sort of the parlance of our time in the '90s of of uh, of concerts. Um, I'm going to list the other bands that are on the cover here because it really is a time capsule. You got Pearl Jam, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Smashing Pumpkins, Beck, Nirvana, Metallica, Fish, U2, Madonna, Rolling Stones, Lollapalooza, Puff Daddy, Sonic Youth, Bob Dylan, Beastie Boys, Crosby, Stills and Nash, and the Chemical Brothers. Uh, you also have two really politically charged headlines of I Hate the Suburbs by PJ O'Rourke and Al Gore's Lousy Summer, which is fantastic and accurate, uh, as we can all attest. Um, so now we have one of the sort of uh, one of the biggest sort of one of the biggest musicians of the 90s and and arguably is still um incredibly you know um relevant and has sort of merged into different uh musical terrain uh trent reznor nine inch nails he's coming so so this is interesting i don't know if you guys have watched song exploder on netflix i watched it yesterday this because i never really listened to nine inch nails so i cherry pick <laughs> uh, there are songs of nine inch nails and i would i would argue there are albums of theirs that i do really like um but yeah it's it's you know you got to be in a mood but uh they did an episode on hurt um on song exploder um where he breaks down the making of this song and uh what's interesting about it is where we're catching this artist at this moment is downward spiral has come out a previous uh, a few years previously it's one of the biggest albums um ever ultimately and uh he has no idea how to follow it up it sinks him into a pretty 
terrible depression and the fragile is what comes out of that a, a, a double album of just a very tortured soul uh it's tough uh i mean i feel for the guy um but uh he you know it's just it's just interesting how nine inch nails is the beginning of something which is which we're still feeling today to a certain degree which is sort of this like emo goth prog rock sort of with like electronic influences like what what i think is so impressive impressive about nine inch nails and why they're still relevant and why quite frankly they're still making music is they don't fit into a box i think that you know marilyn manson was kind of just doing david bowie through the prism of like you know um angsty kind of emo you know goth what have you trent reznor felt like he just kind of didn't really want to be put in a box which I appreciate um, that being said, this cover of Trent sitting in a corner or like a little nook or of, of a garden or a hole, essentially uh, wearing a black uh, tank top and black pants and just looking like, um, I don't know, like he just doesn't want to be there. What do you guys think of this cover? I mean, it, maybe he was promoting Blair Witch. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. <laughs> there is a bit of Blair Witch there. Yeah, it, it was yeah. October, you know. <laughs> it was October. But other than that, it's yeah. not. It's not really enticing. Yeah, he just doesn't look great. He just doesn't look like he's happy to be there. But there are a lot of other people on this cover that I do find really interesting. Um, you've got a fall album preview. You've got Beck's Midnight Vultures, which is about to come out, which is one of my favorite albums of 99. Fiona Apple's When the Pawn, uh, which is arguably my favorite album of 99. Um, Rage Against the Machine has their, um, oh my God, uh, Battle for Los Angeles, which is about to come out. And Jay-Z, I'm not unfortunately sure which Jay-Z album it was about to come out. But um, it's uh, it's an interesting time in music. At least at the tail end of 99 felt like there were a couple really interesting albums that came out. This is the College 99 issue, Sorority Girl Secrets, Cheating Goes Digital, <laughs> The Rise and Fall of a Campus Nazi. Very on Those topic. Are headlines. <laughs> yeah. Did you read any of those, Tori? I read them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, the can you, can you tell like, us about them? The neo-Nazi one is like a profile of a neo-Nazi, which I was like, I don't want to read this. So I, did, I guess I kind of skimmed that one. Yeah. Um, and then the sorority one was weird. It was just about like sorority girls, like doing drugs and drinking. Um, and then the, the cheating one was just that like the internet, you can find free... <laughs> Term papers on the internet. Watch out! Oh, that kind yeah. of cheating. Oh, that oh. cheating. Yeah, not, like, not like that's what I thought too. But oh, no, uh, oh. no, no. <laughs> can that's I, amazing. Can I ask a question about the other cover line? Who the fuck is Bill Bradley? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, was he the other Democratic nominee? Oh, okay. Oh, against Gore, yeah. I think it is. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um. Okay, uh, our next cover is a big one, guys. Uh, yes. It's Brad. Yeah, uh, it's Brad. <laughs> um, he's just okay. So he's wearing a dress, right? It's yeah. a it's a dress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So okay, this this feels like this is something I'm very interested to talk to both of you guys about. Um, Tyler Durden as a style icon sure because 
so Fight Club comes out in October. Uh, this is right around the time that the, that the Fight Club comes out, uh, and 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 pretty much tanks. <laughs> no one, I mean, it does fine, uh, but it was very expensive. Uh, no one really knew what to make of it at the time. Certainly, Fox had no idea how to market the movie. The posters were terrible. They just, they just really didn't know what to do with this film. Um, hindsight being what it is, if this film came out today, it would be like it'd make like seven hundred million dollars worldwide or something like that. Um, but part of the marketing of this film was. Um, Brad as Tyler Durden, for lack of a better way of putting it, and this sort of androgyny mixed with aliens, <laughs> mixed with like just a whole bunch of shit. Um, it's essentially the, the it's a little bit of the transition of his character within the film Fight Club when he gets full space monkey by the end of the film. But this is all a long way of saying that this felt very groundbreaking at the time. It felt like it was really sort of trying to puncture the notions of masculinity and what it meant to be a movie star. And why do you, why are you, why are you putting me on a pedestal? Like it felt like this was a real moment where, where Brad Pitt was trying to deconstruct his persona and what people thought of him. And it all kind of goes over like a lead balloon. <laughs> but um, what did you guys think of it? Well, I think in terms of the, the costume design, particularly, like, it's Michael Kaplan who did Blade Runner. He did the recent Star Wars movies. So he always has this slight element of, like, fantasy in it. And he's very good at outerwear, uh, particularly, is, like, I would say the really notable thing. And obviously there's this fur coat is one of the standout pieces. But then he's, like, mixed it with this, like, graphic print tank that's kind of got the porn images on it. And so it's meant to look kind of 70s thrift. And like, I think the phrase he used that he wanted it to look like something that no one else would want to like own. And then because Brad Pitt wore it, everyone, everyone wanted to own it. it. But because most people aren't Brad Pitt, it's not going to look <laughs> like that on them, which is a sad truth that most of us have to like realize. It's um, we can't That's wear amazing. red leather. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I it's it's so funny because it does feel like there were definitely I I I vividly remember people trying to rock a Tyler Durden look or at least yeah. bits and pieces of a Tyler Durden look in my high school and then ultimately I guess it's more it's more university but still um and to your point uh it doesn't work as a commentary on an average normal person. <laughs> Yeah. On Brad Pitt, it's saying something. Yeah. <laughs> what What are your thoughts on Tyler Durden, Tori? Do you? Wh- yeah. I mean, I didn't see Fight Club until like in the last maybe five years. I watched it for the first time, so I guess it didn't have the same effect on me because it didn't seem that weird watching it now. But your comment about red leather made me realize that I did own red pleather pants and a red pleather jacket in the early 2000s. So I was like, is this a result? I think so. So I, um, I, I rewatched, I, I did this Bridget Jones is diary thing, um, for another piece I was doing. And at the, at the premiere, so Paris and Nikki Hilson were there. And I swear Nikki is wearing red leather jacket, this graphic print top. And I'm like, she's fucking dressed as Tyler Durden. <laughs> it's so weird, but like a sexy Nikki Hilton version. <laughs> you know, I I keep thinking about the alternate universe where Fight Club's a big hit. 
you know, and, and that it, it actually really sort of connects with an audience. Um, it ultimately, I mean, this film was not a, a unmitigated failure by any means. Like it did quite well on video. It, 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 you know, it ultimately did just fine. And it's obviously, um, uh, a real hallmark of, of 99, but it's just, it's so funny, Tori, that you watched it recently and you were sort of like, yeah, okay. Like, and, 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 and which is completely fair. Um, but thinking about it back in 99, it was, it was shocking. Yeah. Like it, it really was. Especially for Brad Pitt. Cause we were so used to him playing these kind of like very pretty, like it, there was always some kind of masculinity aspect to it, but he was like always just like the heartthrob. And this interview in particular it's so fascinating <laughs> in terms of how a celebrity profile is written because it kind of like takes away the artifice because the interviewer actually has a full blown argument with him about a question that he asked at a different time. So like he was in Portugal with Brad and then they have this meeting, <laughs> like they have lunch and Brad's taken issue with him, like asking him about people perceiving him as stupid because obviously at the time people probably maybe thought he was like a himbo um, Can I just say, this leads to one of my favorite things ever, which is apparently <laughs> when Brad was sent the script by the Coen brothers for Burn After Reading, he said to them, I don't think I can act this stupid. And they said, <laughs> and they said, you'll do fine. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, it's, and it's, yeah, like. It gets into the craft and the whole, like, and there's this whole thing about him not wanting to, like, highlight the tooth thing that he did. And, yeah. like, it's it's an intense conversation. And, like, the, the fact that we're actually talking about this photo shoot again, because obviously it came up recently because the Harry Styles cover on Vogue. Yep, yep. And the whole, like, gender fluidity and what means a man, because fucking idiots <laughs> are just want clicks um i'm not talking about the people writing articles like is it candice owens yeah yeah. like and so it's interesting how this cover really speaks 20 years later 21 years later as i mean it really does it's 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 i mean it's interesting i went to see fight club uh, I want to say probably, I mean, listen, time is a flat circle right now, so I don't remember when it was, but it was like a year or so ago. Um, and with a friend, a female friend, and uh, at a theater at the New Beverly in Los Angeles. And uh, it was mostly filled with guys. And it was it, it was a somewhat uncomfortable experience, if I'm being completely honest. Um, the audience was laughing at things that I was like, Ugh, <laughs> this movie is... Like there, this movie was kind of uh, a little bit weaponized by the sort of the MRA, this men rights, you know, movement. This idea. <laughs> I wish you could all see Tori's face right now. Uh, understandably <laughs> nauseous by the notion, uh, and and it, it, it's it's just it's such a poor, stupid reading of this film. And it happened with the Matrix as well, you know. The, it, it, and it happened with these movies that are made by unbelievably intelligent writers and filmmakers that are clearly using these as commentaries on things. And it's the whole red pill, blue pill nonsense where it's like, you are making a fucking choice right now to misread this film in such a way. And I think this cover speaks to that as well. I I mean, I don't remember there being much of a brouhaha around it at the time, but I imagine someone was like, why is Brad Pitt wearing a dress on the cover of Rolling Stone? Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't remember there being much, actually. Um, there is a bit in the interview, and I can't remember what word it is. I think it's exception, maybe. But he says it in a French accent. <laughs> and the interviewer, like, points out, he's like, yeah, he, like, said it in a French accent. <laughs> it also mentions his architecture obsession, which gets mentioned okay. in the 94 profile, which is my favorite thing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Brad loves building. See, this is the thing. If Brad doesn't want... If Brad doesn't want people to think he's dumb, he should stop saying dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's honestly, you should re- it's great. He talks about turning down a Cameron Crowe role, which is clearly almost famous. Um, yes. it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I just want to be very clear. I'm a very big Brad Pitt fan. Sure. I, I don't mean to sit. I don't mean to sit here and sound as though I'm not. I think part of this is media consumption. Part of this is how people are interviewed. Um, I understand. I really do understand. If you are Brad Pitt, you want to control your narrative. Sure. You want to control the way that you're being perceived. I get all of that. Um, but if you don't want people to take things out of context, you have to stop saying things that, in context, might make you look bad. That's all There's a fun point about him uh, talking about winning an Oscar and he doesn't think he'll win one unless he plays a man up the mountain. And it's like, oh, you, you won one. <laughs> you did it. You did it, Brad. Yeah, I... Uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead, sorry. He gets into an argument about also... Um, what was it? He's saying like this, you know, writing isn't an art. He's like, you're just doing this to like get yeah. a rise out of me. And then the interviewer like turns on him. He's like, oh, so what you do is an art? Like, it's just entertainment for you. And they go back and forth about that as well. It's very it's a like, contentious interview. Honestly, <laughs> it really is. Like, I think profile writing is actually quite exceptional. Like, I think obviously there are ticks that you have to do, like with the what people are wearing. But I think if you're a good profile writer, um, like, it's fascinating how it breaks it down. I mean, that's really interesting because, yeah, I just, <laughs> it kind of makes me think about Almost Famous yeah. because of the whole idea that he's a Rolling Stone writer uh, and and that they're scared of how he's going to make them look. Um, you know, it, it really does kind of fold into those things. And I, I do understand if you're a famous person, um, being worried about how things are going to be perceived, something being taken out of context. It's very similar to politics in its own way. I mean, I'm sure that you don't want, um, but the almost famous thing is interesting too, because I don't know that Brad Pitt's right for Russell Hammond as much as I love um, Brad Pitt. I love almost famous. And I think almost famous works because there aren't any movie stars in that movie. Um, I do wish I could see the alternate version where Sarah Polly is Penny Lane. There is a part of me that, that, that wishes that I could see that because I think she would have been spectacular in a very different way. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Brad Pitt's Brad Pitt guys. Like he's just, I don't know. Yeah. And it's, it's really, he's another filmography by the way, that like, if you look at it, when he's like a bona fide movie star, He's, which is, you know, let's be real, basically the, the 90s and, and kind of early 2000s. He's, he's still trying to take kind of interesting roles within the sphere of being a, a leading man. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think he's, and I think that his work with Fincher is, you know, some of the best work he's ever done. So. Yeah. Uh, also on this cover, Christina Aguilera, Tales of Teen Fame, Campaign 2000, John McCain, if only. Uh <laughs> The Dixie Chicks live Creed and Eve. Jesus Christ. Murders Row with live Eve, Creed and Eve there. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, our next cover uh, is Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> um, just just being full on Nicolas Cage uh, with his hair dyed a strange color. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's there to say that hasn't been said about the passion of Nick Cage as the cover of this article? I didn't know that his surname, that he took it from Luke Cage. I learned that from Nissy, so <laughs> who knew? I don't, think I, I don't think I do that either. Yeah, apparently um, yeah, he took it from like Luke Cage, so he really loves comic books. That's interesting. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so Nicolas Cage has an interesting 1999. He makes two very different films. <laughs> He makes 8mm and Bringing Out the Dead in 1999. Um, <laughs> we've done episodes on both of these films. I actually, I mean, I love Bringing Out the Dead. It's one of my favorite Scorsese films. I think it's really, really underrated. And I think he's tremendous in it. Um, I think it works to all of his strengths in terms of his very strange sense of humor uh, and also his uh, innate talents. 8mm is just gonzo uh, on, a, on a bunch of weird levels. Um if, for those who don't know, 8mm is about a guy who's hired to find a snuff film. Uh, or sorry, is given a snuff film and hired to find out who is killed and who killed them. Uh, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot. Um, the best Nicolas Cage piece of pop culture recently that I'm sure you guys saw was the picture of him walking down the street with his son dressed up like he's <laughs> the penguin. <Yeah. laughs> I love it. Yeah. so much it makes me <laughs> so happy yeah his son whose name is Jorel or or Kal-El sorry yes uh <laughs> is for those who don't know what I'm talking about just google Nicholas Cage and son I'm sure it's the first photo that comes up right now his son is just wearing a pair of Uggs with like sweat socks and like a swimsuit <laughs> And just a t-shirt. And Nicolas Cage is dressed in a full-on top hat and a cane. He's tucked his ears into the hat. I mean, it's it's just, it's gold. It's absolute gold. Um, I love Nicolas Cage. I wish that we got more of him, quite frankly. He deserves a renaissance. I feel like he might get one someday. Um, but he's, he's, this, so, okay. What do we think about this T-shirt sort of rolled up past his biceps? I mean, it's a, it's 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 very tired. It's, <laughs> it weirdly, there's a Ben Affleck cover, um, like in 2004, yes. and he's wearing a similar. Like it's more of a vest that he's wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a similar vibe. Is what I'm getting basically. I would, you know, it's funny you bring up Ben Affleck because I could see Ben Affleck having a similar trajectory. <laughs> like I, I could see Ben Affleck also Sorry, walking down the street with a, <laughs> with, a, with a child dressed in Uggs. Oh, Anna, Anna to Amis, maybe <laughs> on one of the or Anna Dorms. on a pat walk. <laughs> I mean, we've also the, the internet has given us some glorious pictures of Ben Affleck, um, just very contemplative. <laughs> <laughs> The memes. <laughs> yeah, the cigarette ones are just. I mean, the one that comes to mind is him on the beach yes. with the towel wrapped around his belly, just staring just out into the ocean. You yeah, with this fucking bat. <laughs> I love it so much. The, 
I just, the thing about Ben Affleck, not to get into Ben Affleck, because we could talk about him for two hours alone, but I just, it's like, I think about Jennifer Garner picking him up to drive him oh, to rehab and no. pulling over to get him fast food along the way. Oh, and I'm just like, Jen, you're a fucking angel. You deserve so much better than this. Speaking of magazine profiles, that Vanity Fair, when she was like, I refuse to be the ashes. And it's like, fucking yes. I remember, I was going to, this is like a quick tangent, I was going to these marriage classes. We had to, like, because my husband's Catholic, and we had to, like, you have to take these classes beforehand, and I'm a Catholic. And I remember, like, that story popping up on my Twitter feed just before we were going in, and I was like, I just need to go to the bathroom. And I literally, like, sat in the bathroom just, like, reading this story. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and he was like, what the fuck took you so long? And I was like, this came out. Like, <laughs> I was like, I that's, need to read this cover. That's incredible. So that I read before the uh, issue arrived, so... <laughs> Um, this cover has a lot of text, so I'm going to walk through some of it here. Uh, Family Values Tour, Goo Goo Dolls, David Bowie, Rage Against the Machine gets four stars on their album. Um, the Almonds, Costellos, Marley's, Wainwrights, Cotters, Cooters, and the uh, Fathers and Sons, I don't know what that is. Uh, Campaign 2000, you were absolutely right, Tori. It was, <laughs> Bill Bradley was the uh, other Democratic possible nominee. Gore versus Bradley. Uh, Bono goes to Washington to everyone's, I don't know chagrin perhaps <laughs> he gave um, him a free album like, he arrived and, was like, <laughs> um, and then the secret life of teenage girls i read Did anyone read that article yeah what, what, what's that about um actually the writer i really like i read her book um she wrote this book about being writing for rolling stone uh in 2006 and she's still writing now she wrote the al fanning cover story for vanity fair this year and actually, I, I thought it was it was just basically what teenage girls have always been like. Yeah. And because it was written by a woman, it didn't have, there was nothing mean in it. And it didn't seem like, she wasn't like picking them apart. Like there was some dubious language stuff um, about them using the term gay as a slur. Uh, yes. As people, you know. Boys, right? so, yeah. So, yeah. And like, it just, it felt like actually not incendiary. It felt kind of nice. So it was a rare, a win. Sorry, yelling about like guys they think are hot and just the names are so nice. Prince William. (laughs) Yes, Prince William, Joshua Jackson, Angel from Buffy, and the third rock from the sun guy is what they said. Joseph (laughs) Gordon-Levitt? I guess. Not French Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) Or John (laughs) Lithgow? Wow, that's uh, well. That's great. Um, so our our second to last uh, issue that we'll talk. There's two at the end. We can breeze over, but there, we have two more. Um, Rage Against the Machine on the front cover, the mightiest band in rock. We did an episode on Rage Against the Machine with um, past and future guest Rich Monahan. Uh, I don't know a ton about Rage Against the Machine. I learned a lot about it in that in that episode. Um, they're a fascinating band. Uh, they started something that I bet they wish they didn't, which is sort of like, um, what's the best way to describe it? It's like bands like Corn kind of come out of Rage Against the Machine. So like that kind of rap rock, white rap rock thing. Um, and they were, they're a very powerful band, very politically motivated. Um, and 
they're they're fucking great. And it's interesting that they, I mean, this is basically their last album. They have an album in 99, and that's essentially the end of the road. Uh, they break up shortly thereafter. Um, but it's great that they got a cover. I'm not sure it's the best cover of the world. Um, I, I think they're in front of something on fire. <laughs> is it The it world. Like a, <laughs> <laughs> it's not so even cute. close to being on fire yet. <laughs> It's going to take another 20 years for that to happen. Yeah. I don't love it. it looks yeah. I don't love it. Like it's fire. great. <laughs> yeah. Also, it looks, it looks Photoshopped a little bit. Like it looks yeah. like they've been cropped into something. It's not a great cover, unfortunately. No. Um, Beck, Foo Fighters, Fiona Apple also on this cover. And the uncensored history of the Allman Brothers. Sure. Uh, what everyone was looking for in 1999. <laughs> um <laughs> And now we have uh, Christina Ricci is um, in the, I guess, the, the cover of November's issue. Um, nice and naughty, Christina Ricci. I'm, I'm trying to think, and I'm going to look this up very quickly here. Um, what is she doing in 1999? Shooting Sleepy Hollow. Oh, right. She's in, how did I not know that? That Ooh. makes me feel real dumb. Um, <laughs> Well, she's not shooting it. She releases it. Sure, so that's but it's on, I think on. some of it's on the set, right? They're filming it, I feel like. Yeah, in the, So it's a set, yeah. is it? Yeah, and she's in 200 Cigarettes as well. That's the other movie that she's in in 99. I knew she was in something else. Um, yeah, you know, the problem with I, I, I just never think she's in Sleepy Hollow. The hair and the whatever, oh. it just doesn't even... Anyway. Um, so yeah, of course, she has that coming out uh, momentarily or, or shortly around this issue. Um Rich geek, poor geek, down and out in Silicon Valley. I read that. I, how is that? It, it's basically just like, um, you know, in Silicon Valley, there's obviously a huge population of incredibly rich uh, people. And then the rest of the people are all incredibly poor. So it's just like the, the disparity in, in class in Silicon Valley is what it's about. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Clinton, Clapton, Kravitz, and Crow backstage at the White House. That, that is, those are definitely four people that played during Clinton's <laughs> administration at the White House. <laughs> With no offense, to, no offense to Eric Clapton, Lenny Kravitz, or Cheryl Crow, but that's a moment right there. <laughs> um, Dr. Dre returns, back parties, Creed Live, Dead Box. I'm assuming it's a Grateful Dead. Oh, box okay. I was confused by that. I was like, I don't understand who that is. I'm that assuming that's what that is. Makes sense. Um, and then Andy, there's some sort of an Andy Kaufman um, article as well here, uh, it seems. Um, sure. Christina Ricci, uh, I've always loved Christina Ricci. I think she's great. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting how like so I was I was on um, a podcast called Screen Drafts, where you draft certain sort of groups of films is I guess the best way to describe it. Um, and I was on there for Winona Ryder, uh, which I went on with uh, Dana Schwartz to talk about Winona Ryder. Um, I guess argue about <laughs> Winona Ryder is the better way of putting it. But all that being said, it does feel like Christina Ricci tries to kind of become Winona Ryder a little bit. Like that there are similarities in their kind of trajectories and in kind of the image they give off a little bit. Am I, do you think I'm, I'm, is that a fair assumption? It gets brought up the Johnny Depp stuff in this interview, like, which is a sure. very odd situation. Um, Cause she's talking about how she had a crush on him when they did mermaids and obviously she was quite young. So yeah. it's like that weird juxtaposition again. 
Um, See, like, that's the type of thing that if I'm working in PR, I'm thinking, (laughs) don't ask them about this because all you're doing is making Jida look like a fucking creep for kissing her in Sleepy Hall. Like, she's, it's, the the age discrepancy is severe. So there's Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, it's, Uh, it's weird. It's another case of like, she, yeah, the, I mean, the fact the cover lines are nice and naughty. Like, they love the Madonna whore, basically. Like, and the yes. scenes, and, unless it's Angelina and Jolie, and they're just basically like show us your tats, which also I mean, happens in that piece. Hollywood likes the Madonna. And the oh, cover. yeah, like, yeah. I yeah. think that's a that's a broader sure. accusation, which is fair. Um, yeah, I, it's. I think she's. Um, I think she's had, had and continues to have a really fascinating career. Um, I don't know. It's. I, Wednesday Adams, man. Like mm-hmm. you're never gonna. It's just fucking best. It's just mm-hmm. she's great. Um, so these last two covers, which we'll, we'll, we'll breeze through really quickly here, um, they did some sort of a, a best records of 99 kind of special photo issue of some sort. Um, were, were there were there photos worth mentioning in this? Does it, did you guys I look at this? I didn't see and, this one. Okay. Not. Uh, and then the very last one is the Millennium issue, uh, where it's a special issue about the fucking Millennium, uh, I guess. <laughs> What's gonna happen, guys? It's gonna be the year two thousand, and the spoiler is nothing happens. It's the same as the day before. Um, yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I, I, by and large, first of all, this was a blast, and I, I can't thank you guys enough for for doing this episode. Obviously, um, but I thought that this, like, what I found fascinating about this recording this episode and, and looking at the issues uh, before it were sort of. Um, it really does capture these bite-sized little moments of the entire year in a way that's that kind of nothing else that we've covered on this show or on this podcast really has up until this point because we don't, generally speaking, get that much of a 30,000 feet perspective on the entire year. Um, so it was really great to kind of like pop into these into these issues and be able to sort of, and when I say issues, I mean, I guess both versions, issues and the actual physical issues. But um, yeah, I just I, I hope you guys had a good time. Is there did you did anything sort of jump out at you that you're that that sort of an overarching kind of vibe that you got from this uh, from ninety nine through Rolling Stone? I think biscuit. <laughs> Mott McGrath. <laughs> oh god damn it! So the two worst things yeah. you could take from ninety nine. It's I, I mean I think it's reinforced that it was like quite an incredible year where there are still things that we're still referencing and all still people who are obviously very much at their peak. Well, not at their peak necessarily, but they're still like A-list. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you say that, you know, it's, it's been 20 years and most of the people that got these covers still have careers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's just interesting. You, I'm sort of surprised that you look at all of these covers and you think like, I'm surprised there aren't more flame outs, I guess. You yeah. know what I mean? That there aren't more people with careers and like cratered. I know I sent you that John Travolta picture, the Rolling Stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason why I wanted to mention it me in my is because <laughs> if you ever see, I mean, this is just because I love magazines, but like in shots, especially of period stuff, if there are magazines in the background, I will like freeze it to see what they are. Like when I went to see Call and Grow Your Name, like I took note in my head that that was a John Travolta cover because I wanted to like see what, if they got it accurate. Um, 
Yeah, it's like and the Americans use the Warren Beatty cover uh, in the second season finale, like stuff like that. Like I just love that kind of cultural touchstone, and you get that from a magazine cover. Like you're like, right, this was that like month. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's great. <laughs> but yeah, John Travolta. Yeah, it's, look it's, at that. it's interesting how like <laughs> I actually think that. <laughs> I mean, it, for for those who want to see it, uh, yeah, it's a it's a very it's a very <laughs> sinewy version of uh, of John Travolta. Yeah, um, but I but I think to your point a little bit too that the, the monthly issues tend to I don't I don't know if this is the right word but be a little bit more powerful yeah. than your weeklies. You know what I mean? It's like when I see like a People magazine or an Entertainment Weekly magazine, as much as I might like those magazines, when they pop up in various pieces of pop culture, they don't have the same power that the rolling that that's something that comes out only 12 times a year, give or take, but yeah. And I I think it's just an interesting, and I don't know if we're going to have that so much anymore because obviously the way digital and print is going. Um, But yeah, it's a nice little, little touchstone. It's, it is, it is unfortunate that it feels like those things are, are, are starting to go away, but I mean, we'll see. Guys, thank you so much for coming on here to talk about this stuff with me. This was, this was an absolute blast. And I really hope that you'll both come back for something else in the future. Yes. yes. No, this is wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, of course, of course. So before you guys log out, um, you can close the Zoom, but keep the uh, Zencaster window open so that that can upload. Okay. Um, and then we'll we'll send out an email when we can all close our browsers. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'd love to have you guys come back. I was wondering if um, you'd be interested in coming back to talk about costume design. Like the best costumes of 1999? Is that something that would be like from film? I mean, I would love that. Yeah. Tori, that's something you'd be interested in? Yeah. I would 100% love that. Okay. So if um, basically what I'm sort of doing is I do sort of these episodes off to the side with episodes that Kenny just quite frankly doesn't give a shit about. (laughs) So that's fine. This is is prerogative. Um, But yeah, why don't we like, if, if you're cool aiming for like, mid to late January or early February or something like that. Sure. So yeah, yeah. just film costumes of 99 that were iconic. Just movie costumes from 1999. I can do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just sort of, yeah. Cause I, cause I feel like you guys are tapped into sort of, I, I hate to say this, but fashion, but like just in terms of like <laughs> that sort of aesthetic. And I, I want to kind of try to, to when I can, hone in on different below the line departments of, of the different sort of, uh, from 99. So we can do some embarrassing things that I try to dress up as. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Which I definitely did. So (laughs) no, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I think that people don't think enough about the various departments. Oh, sure. Filmmaking. They don't mm. think about cinematography. They don't think about costume design or production design or these various things. So um, I think this is an opportunity. And, I, and I, I think that there are a lot of, I think the unfortunate misnomer about costume design is period pieces. Oh, like God. The only thing that, that matters. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think about the costumes in Eyes Wide Shut, for instance, or, you know what I mean? Even American Beauty, you know, putting the, 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 the quality of these films aside necessarily, sure. like, Bad films can have amazing costume oh, design, yeah. and great films can have kind of lousy costume design. So, and contemporary does get kind of fucked over a lot. So, I am it really it's does. my favorite. Contemporary is my favorite. So, and it's an opportunity for us to talk more about uh, Fight Club and its costume design. Yeah, so there you go. 
<laughs> thank you so much, guys, for coming out. No, really thank you. It. This has been excellent. One last thing. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yonka Task for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.